0: Welcome to the Anything Goes podcast, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting Long Island, New York. I'm your host Timothy Rooney, and welcome back to a brand new episode from the show. I know it's been a little while since our uh, new episode coming from this podcast platform. The last one being our top 15 favorite horror movies, which I did with Andy DeGenova, which I thank him for. And it's actually, at the day of this recording, this is actually August eight. It's actually August 11th. I uh, the month. The number eight just came to my mind for some reason. I don't don't know why it just came to my mind. Because August is the eighth month of the year. Yeah, and it totally screwed up with screwed me up like that. So I apologize. It's actually his birthday. So happy
1: birthday, happy birthday,
0: Andy. Uh, But as you can tell, we're doing another list episode. We're doing our top ten favorite Steven Spielberg movies, and not movies he produced, but movies he directed. If we talk about the movies he produced, we'd be here even longer, and the list would be even more extravagant. Yeah, because then you're like, all right, all right. I'm like, all right. Do we? Do we include Tiny Tunes? Yeah, exactly. Do we include Animaniacs? Like, how do we judge that against Who Framed Roger Ebert or Back to the Future? You're like, uh, ah, uh,
2: ah, uh, Exactly.
0: And now our show is go- And, now, and our now our show, show- song is <laughs> done. And now, now our show is, is done. Done. <laughs> All right. As you can tell from the other Jubilee voice that's coming from the other side of the room here, we got Dakota here. Hello. How you doing? I'm fine. I know it's been a while since we actually sat down and recorded.
1: Yes, yeah, so I remember my day we used to do these podcasts weekly. Yes. Weekly.
0: <laughs> I know, so yeah, this the podcast's been, been neglected. It's but been
1: a while. Since I said software.
0: It's <laughs> been one week since you, you looked look at me. Chicken to China, the Chinese chicken. Let's, all right, let me stop singing. Uh, so we're talking about our top ten favorite Spielberg directed movies. So let's jump into that right now. <laughs> first Recognize Steven Spielberg was an actual person behind the movies. That because we a lot of people are introduced to Spielberg movies when you're kids, we you don't know who th- their Steven Spielberg is. So, when did you he was first f- become aware of him? I don't really remember when I first
1: became aware of him, I th- but he was the first director that I was aware of. Okay, I know that for sure. And I think it was coming actually to be honest, coming from I knew him from Saturday morning cartoons mainly. Okay, like and uh. Animaniacs, uh, this other show that I cannot remember for the name of me. Freakazoid? Not Freakazoid. It was something else where they actually mentioned Steven Spielberg. Okay. Um, I can't remember it for the hell life of me. But, yeah, Animaniacs, uh, Tiny Toons, Mm -hmm. just all these cartoons that he helped produce. But but I already knew him through Indiana Jones and – to be honest with you, I thought all movies were directed by
0: Spielberg when I was a little kid. Well, knowing how much he's influenced Hollywood <laughs> and how movies were
1: made, I can see... I mean, just look at his IMDb page and what he has directed and what he has produced. He has his fingers in a lot of things.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Like That's what I think is the most commendable things for it. And that's why I think it's so interesting next year with Ready Player One coming out because so much of the pop culture that's, that was in the original book that's now represented in the movie are properties that he was either directly... Or indirectly involved with, like the biggest thing, like we had the DeLorean in that movie. So yeah. he, he's actually directing a movie where the DeLorean is a vital piece of it. So I think that's really interesting. Did he have any hand in uh, the Iron Giant?
1: Giant does make a cameo in Ready Player One.
0: I know that. I know he apparently has a big role in it, according to reports. Oh, my God, really? I know, yeah. (laughs) And I love, no, because (laughs) somebody's like, Superman. (laughs) Is Vin Diesel coming back
1: to voice him? I think so.
0: (gasps) (gasps) And somebody, like, there's been so many videos, like, breaking down frame by frame of that Ready Player One trailer. Like, at the very beginning, when he first enters the virtual reality world, like, you see Harley Quinn and Deathstroke past the main character. Gandalf is flying up there, uh, battling people. Gandalf the Grey, not Gandalf the White. Uh, Woo!
2: Shower off
1: The Akira
0: motorcycle
1: you have. Oh, I missed the Akira motorcycle.
0: Yes. Uh Um, there's the, the, uh, V8, um... Card that's from uh, Road Warrior and Mad Max Fury Road is in the background at one point. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so, and even like at the Comic Con panel, like the author of the book is standing next to Spielberg. He's like, oh, I learned a lot of my storytelling from this guy, so it's a dream come true that he's directing the adaptation of my book. Yeah. So I think that's even, and so, and I think that's really cool. And that's what kind of sparked the idea about Steven Spielberg in general. And that's why I got back to a Spielberg kick and led me to doing this episode. And I think there's another top 10 list coming from this show soon between myself and Guy Milks, part of the Real Fans group, because we were doing our top ten favorite Hitchcock movies and everything, so... That'd be cool. Yeah, and I know it's going to be interesting, because we have a lot of things, like, Guy and I agree on, because it's like, whenever one of us are, like, post, like, we're watching this, like, it's always the common threads, it's just him, uh, myself, and a few others are talking about, like, oh, I love this scene, and that scene, etc., um... So, without any further ado, actually, before we even get to the list itself, let me tell you one how I first introduced to Steven Spielberg. Yes, please do. Um, I've seen so many of his movies when I was a kid, but uh, like you, not did not know Steven Spielberg was behind them because I was always a fan of the Indiana Jones series. I loved Jurassic Park, but I don't think it was not until I saw Jaws after Jurassic Park one. My mom said, "Like that's Steven Spielberg directed that? Like who's that and who's what's a director?" And she explained, like, oh, he's the person who kind of oversees everything and directs the movie and makes the final, a lot of the final decisions on it. I'm like, okay. Like, him and James Cameron, like, the first two directors I knew and recognized mm-hmm. and would follow their work. And so when I went, when Lost World came out, I knew who Steven Spielberg was and see the movies came out afterwards. Okay, And and I've been, a, like, a disciple of his for a long time. And of all the filmmakers that, I, that I've studied and to aspire to be Spielberg is the number one it's one my top three favorite filmmakers is Steven Spielberg John Carpenter and Alfred Hitchcock in that particular order and I know some people are going to say you put John Carpenter over Alfred Hitchcock I'm like that's just my sentimental value to things like the Halloween and the thing and Prince of Darkness well
1: you also John Comp uh the John Cop to John Cop. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's very sh-
0: very German John very Kopp. John Cop. yeah <laughs> uh. John Carpenter
1: is a f- master of the uh, practical effects.
0: Yes, and I th- also the fact that he does the music to his own movies is another added bonus to it. Mm-hmm. And since, hell, you and I have even seen John Carpenter live perform his music, and I think that's just another a- added element. It's like, oh, not only does he writes a lot of his movies, under pseudonyms or not, directs them, and does the music. So, mm-hmm. And I love the point where I think it was... I think it was when he did Christine in 1983 because his, his – part of his contract is it always says John Carpenter's apostrophe S in whatever movie it is. It's John Carpenter's Halloween. John right. Carpenter's The Thing. When he got to Christine, he's like, John Carpenter's Christine, music by John Carpenter, directed by John Carpenter. And it's like on the billboard and, and mm-hmm. in L.A. He's like, all right, something's got to change here. And, and then So when we would write A lot of the scripts He'd write another assume them Because it just looked like It's such a Feel like it was really pompous To have his name on the t- It would be like The opening credits of The Room Tommy Yeah was so, Tommy was so Tommy was me, was so. But like Only with quality And not uh, mediocre <laughs> And not just Total savagery of The s- sight and sound So how's your sex life? <laughs> or, or our favorite line <laughs> Don't touch me, me Motherfucker, motherfucker. Did so, not hit her. I, I did, did not. not. Oh, high, A high mark! mark. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the high mark for all things good in and, and bad in movies. That's for sure. Chip 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 chip. <laughs> Nobody makes fun of my farm animal <laughs> <laughs> in the words of nostalgia critic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So enough uh, yeah, pontificating back, here.
1: Yeah, back, w- w- Spielberg, right? Yeah, yeah Spiel- Spielberg. Like,
0: oh, oh my God, we're we'll talking about Steven Spielberg, and so. Since you're the guest, I'll have you start. We'll start with number 10 work our way up to number 1. What? Yes! Oh, my God. I'm so honored. Mm -hmm. And that's all the time we have today. We'll talk to (laughs) you. Okay. So, number 10.
2: Drumroll please. I can't talk. Please. What is wrong with me? A lot of
0: things. You want me to get started? (sighs) I have more than 10 reasons what's wrong with you.
2: All
1: right. So number 10 is close encounters of the third time, uh third kind. You are, how many times would you like to say that that title? It's close encounters of the third kind. Not time, not like the spice kind. <laughs> of the third time. They're alien herbs coming down to season our
0: food. Man, traveling through hyperspace <laughs> is always so weird. Family Guy megaphone, Doctor Who. There. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So interesting choice. Yeah. So this movie,
1: um, I mean, it's an interesting choice because I think you're. I mean, you're probably surprised by this. Um, came out in 1977. I didn't see it until like a year or two ago when you introduced it to me. Right. And to be honest with you, I was open for it. I just didn't know if it was like. I'm not a huge fan of ET, which. I'm probably going to get crucified in the comments about. But I'm not a huge fan of E.T., so I was a little dubious about Close Encounters, but you're like, it's totally different, so let's just sit down and watch it. Right. I mean, it had Richard Drives in it. Um, Richard
2: Drives. Richard Drives. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, um, yeah, it was completely different. And your whole thing was the theme was communication. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people talking over each other, a lot of muted conversations translations translate yeah people being translated and everything like that which it really picked up on and i overall i do like the theme uh i mean there's flaws with it i don't particularly like richard drivis's character that's
0: that's the reason why i didn't include it on my list spoilers it's not on my top it would probably be like a number 11 or number 11 or 12 spot 11 11 11 11 uh it's either my 11 or 12 spot because I still enjoy the movie. I, I still watch it and get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah. But it's one concern in my top ten. But go on. Yeah, no, I mean, R-
1: Richard Dreyvis' character doesn't exactly do it for me. I mean, he sells the role of being completely hypnotized by these by these UFOs coming to Earth. He was touched by them. He was chosen by them. And you really believe it. Like, this is a man who's either mentally ill or he's had a calling. And right. And he sells that. It's just he abandons he, his family. He abandons his family. He, he he scares his wife and children to leaving him, and then he starts and he kisses a woman who was also chosen, but she decides to stay with her son. Right. So that, that part was like, dude. You. But he showed in the earlier in the movie that he did love his family. Yeah. So he abandons them and falls in love with another woman while he's
0: still technically married. So it's like ah, it which is a really interesting thing because one of the biggest. Impacts or biggest things that affected Spielberg's life is his father uh, and his, his parents getting divorced and his father leaving them. And as you can tell, there's so many absentee fathers in Spielberg's movies. And I just find it interesting that he made that guy the protagonist to Close Encounters. Right. And have him choose to leave and go in the mothership to be a kind of correspondent for the human race in, like, Alpha Satori or wherever the hell this, these uh, aliens came from. Yeah. And that's... He... Spielberg admits, like, that's a young man's writing. That was before he... He wrote that before he was a father. Okay. And you can tell that. And he thinks that he, that's part of his regret with that movie. Yeah. I mean, but...
1: Leaving the last scene... Like, if you watch the movie and kind of forget that about... Him, like, kissing the other woman and yeah. leaving Earth and everything like that. The movie's really interesting... And it's very well done that the fact that you actually really don't see the aliens until the end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, you get the flash at the lights in the beginning, but you never see them again until they land with, I mean, for lack of a better word, uh, word the first Skrillex communicating with them. Yes. I mean, come on, let's just over... Let's- Photoshop Skrillex in there, and just, (laughs) and
0: and all of a sudden, that ship turns into the mothership from Independence Day, and just annihilates everybody at Devil's Tower.
1: Oh, fun fact about Devil's Tower. Right. They recently discovered, they may have recently discovered a large, complex root system beneath it. Meaning that Devil's Tower might be a petrified tree is unconfirmed but if it is if that's true it will change it literally could change the world
0: other than like say argument's sake it is a tree
1: what do we get out of that? that you know how like ancient stories of these giant like this mother tree gave gave birth to uh, millions uh, of forests and stuff like that right that was fable but it could be real okay then it would be mind blowing, something like,
0: "Well, what is this then?" Right? Huh? I'm and are all
1: trees related?
0: But that's not the point. Gotcha. Aliens. And that's what people. And that's what didn't say when people make fun Avatar for all the the flora and fauna being connected, like yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chaos there. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> um, your favorite scene in the movie?
1: Um, there's a lot. Uh, I do you like about this movie? I mean, my per I mean, personal favorite. I was just saying, even though I was just saying, insert Skrillex in there. The communication between uh, the humans and the alien ship—like gotcha. th- it's—you they know the code to talk to them, but it's just a high-intensity moment because what is this message we're communicating with the, to them without really knowing what we're saying? We have the five-note sequence, like the boo boo boom, yeah,
3: bum, bum.
1: and you have the keyboard, uh, the pianist who, like, is his biggest performance of his life because he could fuck everything up. Oh, yeah, no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> no pressure, dude, but you could annihilate the entire human race and the Earth and everything like that. But that whole secret... Dick, 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 that's what he's <laughs> in, in, in musical code to the aliens. I am a penis. Ah, that's what, the recent, that's what we're making him say. <laughs> 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 but, no, that's just the intensity of that scene. But it's also... It's intense, but there's also a bit of joy, especially when the it starts speeding up, and and there's a lot of wonder, yeah.
0: Which is another quality that's all part of Spielberg's movies, yeah. So uh, that was my personal favorite scene of that in that movie. All right, uh, yeah. So you, that's and so yeah, you said that. Like we always thought, we had three questions, and oh yeah, so because we had have, we had have three criteria for this movie for each list. Yeah, uh, when you saw it. Favorite scene. Uh, favorite scene I don't know why you love it in favorite scene yeah okay yeah. Is, so yeah we do cover that just want to be sure about that yeah I uh, okay uh yes Cool. I, lo- I love the moment is when they first started communicating like, it's just like the and it's just the humans first is playing the five notes and then the aliens like boom boom and the tower behind drive is the glass shatters because <laughs> the uh, the sound of it and you're like and then that's when the kind of keyboard off between human humanity and the aliens begins and, I mean a lot of people, a lot of people who are, love their cars are going like, "What subwoofer system does that ship have? I want it." <laughs> I can see like the, the, the test for THX putting on Star Wars and Close Encounters. Thud. The, the audience, audience is, is now deaf. deaf. And it's funny about Close Encounters because Spielberg was making Close Encounters at the time. At the same time, George Lucas was making Star Wars, <laughs> and both movies had like trouble productions. Star Wars was more troubled than Close Encounters. George comes to the set of Close Encounters and he's like, oh, look at this. Look how everything's coming together for you. Close Encounters, that's going to be the big money hit for this summer, not Star Wars. And Spielberg being the smart person he is and really having confidence in George, like, all right, how about um, you give me a point or two of Star Wars and I'll give you a point or two of Close Encounters, a point of, like, being of the grosses. Yeah. So George agreed. So Steven Spielberg got two points from the original Star Wars before the release. And then once the movie came out, who do you think made more money, Steven. Steven. Despite, I mean, despite <laughs> at least amongst those two points, Steven, I think he's probably still getting checks from Star Wars. Let's be honest. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, Star Wars is a
1: worldwide phenomenon, and Close Encounters was a really good movie.
0: Yes, and, and in it's not in the same ballpark. Really. No, as as become as part of pop culture. No, I mean, like there's a lot of like, I mean, hell, I, like Moonraker. Uses the five notes from this. That yeah, that's true. And that was kind of like a kind of a battle between Cubby Broccoli and Steven Spielberg, because Spielberg was still petitioning to direct the James Bond movie at that point. I think because of Cubby Broccoli being so tough on not wanting him to direct it or not and didn't really want him to. That's what I think led Spielberg to make Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, which eventually, though. Spielberg did get a chance to use the Bond theme in a movie he produced in The Goonies. I think they used it at one point. Yeah, The Goonies did use it. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, we, as we go from your top ten to my top ten, we're going from benevolent aliens to malicious aliens. For my number top, to, my number ten, for my top ten list of Spielberg movies, War of the Worlds from 2005. Okay. And the reason why is because like, even at the first time I – like, okay – I've told the story before on our movie theater experiences episode, but if you haven't heard that one, I'll kind of reiterate it here. My sister, Stephanie and I were going down to Florida to spend a week with my Nana and granddad and Spielberg's movie came out at the time. It was War of the world's was out at the time. And my granddad was always the one who shepherded my ideas of wanting to be a filmmaker and is always trying to introduce me to Morrison. cinema. And he enjoyed Steven Spielberg. Agreed to take me to see war of the world's once I got down there. And so I read War of the Worlds, the illustrated Classics edition of the story on the flight down to Florida. And my granddad and my sister and I went to go see War of the Worlds one day. It was kind of rainy. Like, that's kind of like most movie theater experience. It's raining out. Let's go to the movies. Right. And so we go there. And we're about like 15 minutes into the movie. Um, the storm outside had gotten so bad that it tripped the breakers and is at that exact moment in the movie when the EMP blast goes off from the aliens inva- <laughs> invading the power goes off in the theater and it's like at that precise moment like we're all kind of sitting there like is this part of the movie and then the power comes on and then we had like one of the ushers come in like alright we just had a little bit of power surge we're going to get the movie back as soon as possible like, alright the guy opens up the window uh, opens up the emergency back door to see how the storm is and it's just Palm tree leaves are flying <laughs> everywhere, and just, like, slams the door like, okay, it's pretty bad outside. And so that's when I was first introduced to War of the Worlds. And the reason why this makes my top ten list is because it's the reason why my my three movies in a row, number ten, number nine, and number eight, all have something kind of in common, which I'll get to when we get to number eight. But it's interesting for an, an updated version of this story because there was, a, of course, the... Orson Welles' famous broadcast on Halloween back in the 30s, which supposedly scared a lot of people believing because they came in halfway through the broadcast believing this was an actual emergency broadcast that we were actually being invaded. Yeah. Well, the, I actually heard the, the guy recording of that original broadcast. Right. It starts
1: off with a different broadcast. Like, here's the sounds of uh, like the uh, opera piece performed by Bubba in, at the uh, Carnegie Hall. It starts off with that, and it's like three minutes in. And it's like, we interrupt this program
0: to inform you something is happening. And then Orson Welles comes on and it says, Hello. Hey. Brian! Why are we being invited? I'm telling you, Pinky, they're taking over the world. Um. Thanks! <laughs> it's magic. That's how the aliens sounded like. It's like, I've been running for the hills too.
1: They're all Vincent Price's. Hello, people hey. of Earth. <laughs> this is Vincent Price. Price.
0: I would be scared. of like, oh, okay, that was awesome. I'll have a conversation with Vincent Price, but it just turns into the aliens from Mars attacks and they just <laughs> a- annihilate everybody in front of them. Yes. Ah, 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 Vincent Price as the, al- as the aliens from Mars attacks. Um, and and so seeing the paranoia played out through like. Tom Cruise being kind of like a deadbeat dad, and he's he's watching his kids for the weekend while his like it's his turn to watch his kids while his his wife has the kids during the week, and it seems like it's been a couple of weeks since they've he's last seen his kids, and it's a rift between his kids and his dad and Tom Cruise himself, a broken up family and another like I said hallmark for Spielberg, and him trying to keep control of himself while dealing with his kids that are, they do not kind of love him nor respect him. And then all the paranoia of all the people trying to survive. And because I believe, I do believe we are capable of great things and compassionate things and loving things. However, I'm not 90 naive enough to say that there's true evil in the world and most of it comes from human beings and put it into a pressure where you take away comforts mm-hmm. safety food and water people will do anything to, pr- to protect themselves and especially their family oh yes and like the and my favorite scene in the movie is the scariest scene in the movie and i showed you i think clip of this when it's but the car scene in the when everybody's fighting over the van because yeah. the emp emp has gone off that's activated all the Martian tripods that's now devastating the world. None of the cars work, but Tom Cruise realizes, oh, just change this piece. He tells that to his mechanic friend on his way to go see what happened when the initial storm was over. On his way back, realizing the tripods are right over the hill, steals the van with his kids and makes his escape. And he's got the only working vehicle around. And so he's making his way to the ferry and runs into a crowd of people who... Literally tear the van apart trying to get to it. And I'm watching it. I watched it uh, last night. We watched it for this uh, episode. And I'm like, I'm clutching a pillow because I'm like, this is terrifying right here. Yeah, Tom Cruise pulls on a gun to protect his kids, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I, that got intense real quick. And then somebody pulled a gun on him. Yeah. So Tom Cruise drops his gun and abandons the van, gets his kids, and he goes to a diner across the street. Somebody picks up Tom's gun and goes after the person who initially stole the van from Tom Cruise kills him and then everybody jumps on the van again Yeah, and I'm like oh geez and then you have the scene there's a scene sequence later in the movie where it's just Tom Cruise Dakota Fanning and Tim Robbins in the basement of this uh, house where they're seeking sanctuary and we find out slowly but surely that Tom Robbins is kind of off his rocker Tim Robbins not Tom Robbins so I'm like, Tom Robbins, that doesn't sound right. Hmm. Tim Robbins. And he's like, Andy Dufresne, he is not. He's more like the creepy guy from the Tenacious D movie more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut your eyes out and your balls out and replace your eyeballs with your balls and your eyeballs where your balls go. <laughs>
1: That'll give you a new perspective on life.
0: Yes. Oh,
1: pun. Yes. Uh, First uh, one of the d- podcast, Tim. Yeah, so... Oh, God, I just opened up a can of worms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fucking the first Golden Laugh is made. And so, yeah, that's my favorite scene of the movie, and I really love it. It's tense, and reasons why I love it, I'll get to when we get to number eight. So, Dakota, what's your number nine? Number nine! Duel. Number nine.
1: Ooh, duel.
0: Yes. So the
1: duel is um. Give me duel. Give me a five. Give me that was that Ooh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. So uh. We just change this episode of musical theater.
1: We, pr- we probably could.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So duel came out in 1971. It was the made for TV movie uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, which is full, for for well, is like a full length movie for. Yeah,
0: it was made for TV. But it was so successful, I think it was NBC, they eventually went back, shot more footage to make it a feature-length movie and released it in Europe initially, like a year later. But it became a theatrical movie. But it was initially a, a, a movie of the week.
1: Yeah. No, it was um, – I saw – you showed this to me a little bit l- – well before I saw uh, Close Encounters. So maybe like three, four years ago. no. Two, three years ago. It okay. wasn't that long. It wasn't four years ago. All right. Uh, so I saw this the first time with you, and I actually really enjoyed it. Mm. I really did. Uh, the story is really compelling because it's a man being chased down by a tractor-trailer truck. And the tractor-trailer truck has all sorts of other license plates on it, presumably from the people that he's has, he has killed. Yeah, And it's just as... Ha- it's just as this back and forth battle in this psychological battle like the guy is like this can't be happening this can't be happening this doesn't happen in normal life and then his sl- then slowly him re- then becoming paranoid and like oh my god this is actually happening he could be around any corner and he's gonna kill me yeah and I'm in the shitty fucking red Chevy yeah and it's like and he's putting along as this tractor trailer is barreling <laughs> down on him yeah oh my god um it's a really good movie and for his first like full length movie it came out extremely good he even makes a cameo appearance accidentally accidentally yes <laughs> I'm just standing here looking into your car just reading the script making sure you got the lines right uh, yeah at one point he um the main character gets back into his car and the door slams and you could see clearly see Steven Spielberg like in the reflection of the glass yeah and it's just like oh that's silly <laughs> but uh no but the movie's great and I, I got really into it, and my favorite scene actually was the scene where the main character, played by uh, Dennis Weaver, Dennis Weaver um, he was. This is when he gets into the like the roadside diner, right? And he's sitting there trying to keep calm, but he's looking around the diner like any of these truckers could be the guy after me. And they realize that the truck's in the parking lot, so like theoretically,
0: one of these guys is, is the this guy. Yeah.
1: And he like is now f- like, what do I do? Do I st- I can't stay here forever? And we cause, and we ne- we never see the driver. No, we never do. Which is I think a brilliant piece of the direction. Yeah, he did. he thinks he pins out the driver and causes a scene, and the driver and the guy that like leaves and he gets in a different truck and drives away. And the main character is like, oh crap! I just made a and scene. They, and, I and then as he's person. looking looking out, the, the truck leaves. Yeah, and he was never, he never
0: in there whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and it was just like. Like demoralizing for him, right? But at the same time, he's still out there. Yeah, (sighs) it's such a good sequence of events, and that whole scene builds up because you're getting his inner monologue at the same time, and the music accompanied with it just really is building the tension. Now, obviously, him scanning the room, him acting all like his him physically acting nervous and just really trying to find a way out of this situation. It's just so good. Nice. And I'm going to save my thoughts on this movie for later. It's probably deeper into your list. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Not I, too much, Lieber. As for number nine, this is...
0: Yeah, this is a, my ninth favorite Spielberg movie. Nice. All right, then. And on to my number nine. Number nine. Uh, number uh, nine. Nine? Nine, 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 nine nine nine. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. yes. Uh, probably one of the greatest edits of any trailer out there for, for Inglourious Bastards. Anyway, my number nine is Minority Report. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so I had the two Tom Cruise movies that Spielberg did with uh, – that he did with Spielberg <laughs> back <there. laughs> You're the one on the couch. You're the one who should be jumping –
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: Katie Ohms. Uh, uh, only he knew how that would end. <laughs> 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 <It's>
1: fucking psycho.
0: <laughs> what was it? Oh, one of the podcasts I w- we were talking about earlier, um, Hey Do You Remember, uh, last episode they did, we did Men in Black. And every now and then, they'll ask a question to the audience that they'll uh, talk about, like, on, on Twitter. And they'll bring apart, bring it up on the show. And they're talking about, what people, do, you, what people, what celebrities do you think are actually aliens? Let's, let's see, political <laughs> comments aside. And, like, and one person said, uh, Tom Cruise, because he is Xenu. He is the alien of the Scientology right there. So yeah. he does imagine so. Anyway, anyway <laughs> Minority Report. I remember Minority Report is about... In the near future, there is a new subdivision... Subdivisions, like Rush. Um, of the Washington, D.C. Homicide Division, where it's called Pre-Crime, where three psychics predict homicides before they happen, and Tom Cruise is part of a team that assembles the images that come from these psychics to determine who's committing these crimes, where are they, and how much time they had before the crime happens. And so... The whole thesis of it is that Tom Cruise is so good and there has been a murder in Washington, D.C. for six years. And the whole, like, moral dilemma is how can you co- convict somebody on something they haven't committed yet? Mm-hmm. And the whole, like, the, the big example is that Tom Cruise tosses a ball across the, the desk and it's going to fall off and Colin Farrell catches it. And he says, you caught that. I did. It's gonna fall, yeah. You're sure about that, yes, but you didn't, you stopped it. And the whole thesis of like, of it just like being we there are certain unavoidable truths that this is going to happen unless we intervene. And so, the, and then the crux of it is that the next crime that's going to be committed is going to be committed by Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. and now he's on, he's being chased by his old his colleagues, and tra- he's trying to prevent the actual murder from happening. And I remember seeing this movie, because I remember my mom, I think, rented it on DVD from Hollywood Video. And because it's a Tom Cruise movie and Steven Spielberg, of course we're going to see it. And I remember seeing it for the first time, watching with her. like, oh, that was pretty cool and interesting, and that was a good sci fi. It wasn't until later when I got heavy into science fiction cinema, despite I took a science fiction cinema class, I was like the only class I ever got a D in. I know. It's kind of bass backwards. I, I, We're all I, very disappointed in you too. No one's more disappointed than my pride. But I, w- I was very... I was very, I, I was very... Yes, I was very argumentative with the teachers. So That's all I had to do with it. Um, and so Philip K. Dick, who wrote the stories... Watch uh, your language, good sir. Fuck <laughs> off. Uh, do androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which turned into Blade Runner? Or We Can Remember For You Wholesale, which turned into Total Recall? Yeah. And, and this... And so I was like, okay, this is a Philip K. Dick story. And I rewatched it, like, a couple of years ago. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so freaking awesome. And I remember, because I, this is when I was in college, and I think it was my friend Julie, I think we ended up watching it where we were up at uh, Oswego, and we watched this together, and we were both, like, we're blown away by it. We're like, wow, this is a lot better than I remember. And so, and the reason why I love this so much is because Philip K. Dick always talks about reality and what is the reality what is perception of it and because in Blade Runner you don't know if Deckard is a replicant or not there are hints and allegations that he could be Blade Runner 2049 makes it look like he's definitely a replicant and then mm-hmm. Ty- the Tyrell Corporation really needs him and that's why Ryan Gosling is going out after him in Total Recall you could say you don't know if that's a dream or not. This was just part of his ego trip that he paid for because all the events that happened in the movie were set up in the office during the pitch the salesman gave to him. Right. And then there's a motif, a musical motif called Dream that Jerry Goldsmith puts at the very end of the movie and we don't know if he's being lobotomized or not. I ter- personally believe this was part of his dream and he was lobotomized. I is kind of like As triumphant of that movie is, I do think that Arnold's dead at the end of the movie which leads to this movie because at the end of the movie he does commit the murder he does get a, Tom Cruise does get arrested because we find out this is the person who supposedly killed his son but it's not really true he's just been hired a goon he's just hired a hired goon just to play to do this but the guy ends up getting killed by Tom Cruise accidentally gets arrested and he's being put into the chamber which they hold all the prisoners and the caretaker or, or the warden I guess you would say is when you go in there, it's like all your dreams come to life. All your happy dreams come to fruition. And a lot of people consider, like, some of the times of Spielberg's endings are a little small C, and they're kind of like, it's too lovey-dovey for the subject matter at hand. Like, it doesn't deserve it. Like, War of the Worlds, you think the sun is dead at the end, of the, in during like the, the end of the second act, into the third act. You think the sun's dead, and it's just, it's just Tom Cruise and Dakota Fanning. Right. The sun shows up at the end, miraculously alive. Now, even I call kind of BS on that, like, ah, he should be dead. But then again, I think to myself, I don't want that family to be torn apart. Like, I want them to be happy. But the realist to me is, like, that kid did not escape that war zone. Anyway, Mm -hmm. in this, Tom Cruise escapes with the help of his wife. The bad guy confesses, kills himself. Pre-crime is shut down. The Agatha and the twins are let out and to have normal lives. And then Tom Cruise gets to rekindle his marriage with his wife and have a new kid. That sounds so picturesque. We and I Especially uh, after when the war what the warden said. Exactly. It's never hinted at that or anything, but I do think there is a possibility that this ending is not real. That this is still an imagination of Tom Cruise still in prison. Inception noise.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Inception review coming soon, don't worry. <laughs> because Justin and I still need to do finish up the Christopher Nolan retrospectives. And my favorite scene of the movie it could... Oh, man, it's tough. I mean, I love the scene where Tom Cruise has had eyes surgically removed and new ones put in because there's retinal scanners everywhere that identify you wherever you go. So he has eyes replaced with somebody else so he wouldn't be recognized going into a JCPenney's or anything like that. It's part of, like, kind of like the security system around Washington, D.C. Like Bato and Ghost in the Shell? Not not uh, artificial. Uh, organic. Oh, hmm. But I love that there's one point where he goes into a gap to get Agatha when the the pre the uh, precogs close. Right. And he gets scanned, like, Hello Mr. Yatamoto, welcome back and he's like, Mr. Yatamoto, like whose eyes do I have? <laughs> um And there's a scene where he has to take the he can't take the banjo off for twelve hours. And so the and the cops go in are searching every building in this neighborhood and they drop little spiders that scan you. And so now he has to hide from every, from these, these little robots, so he dunks the ice-cold water into the tub, and he hides in there to hide his body heat from the scanners, and he has to hold his breath, and hopefully the spiders don't find him. And it's really tense and everything, mm-hmm. and I just really enjoy that, and I was like, ah, oh, that is so awesome. As well as when he's actually escaping with Agatha, and she's she's a psychic, she can use her abilities to hide themselves behind pillars in their precise time, and so nobody can see them. There's one point where they're in a shopping mall, and the cops are descending upon them, and she says, stop, wait, wait, right here. Just wait, wait, cops are coming, they're going to they see her, they're going to see her, as as a balloon salesman comes right in front of them, as soon as the cops get there. Look left and right, all right, keep searching. They run away, and that's when the balloon salesman walks another way, and they were able to escape. And I just really love its nice cat-and-mouse sequence. So yeah, Minority Report, I love. Definitely check out. All right.
1: So, what's your number eight, sir? Number eight. This I know. This is not going to be on your list, or I hope not. Adventures of Tintin. I put it in my top fifteen for sure. So, Adventures of Tintin came out in 2011. It was a uh, CGI version of the uh, TV of the French TV show and comic book series, and comic book series that debuted in like the 1960s. Yes, it's really just a. Boy and his dog investigating stuff.
0: It's like Hardy Boys meets, Indi- like, precursor to Indiana Jones.
1: A little bit, yes. And I grew up with the, I remember this as a little kid because there was an animated series back in the early 90s that ran for three, season, three seasons that I clearly remember. And when this movie was announced, I was like, oh my god, Tintin! So I still have my DVD uh, subscription to Netflix, so I, re- so I got it in the mail. I was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> put it in. I'm watching it. I'm watching it, and the villain's like, oh my god, the villi- villain's Daniel Craig. I didn't know that. <laughs> it was just like, yes, it was everything I remember as a kid. Obscene amount of people getting knocked unconscious. I bought me a attempted, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll capture you. Yeah. The the drunk captain, which well, – would you cannot understand a lick of what no, he says. Andy Circus Andy is indecisible to that movie. Oh, yeah. it Totally. But,
1: like, it was just everything. And I particularly love this because all we have of uh, Steven Spielberg with animated movies – Well, it wasn't really animated movies. He was just a producer on a bunch of TV shows. Right. Right. We never seen him actually direct a TV, a cartoon show or cartoon movie. Mm. And this was his first big one. I mean, they used motion capture, I'm assuming, for a lot of of stuff in it. um, Because they're not, because the characters in there are not quite human, but they're not quite
0: cartoony. Yeah, there was motion capture done for this.
1: Yeah. But it looked amazing. Yeah. What they did and everything like that. And, oh, oh.
0: John Williams' score is fantastic. Is John Williams... Oh,
1: my God. This, I, I don't know. It was everything I wanted out of a Tintin movie. Nice. And I'm still waiting for
0: Tintin 2. It's supposed to be... Peter Jackson's supposed to be the one, next one to do it. Because they produced it together. They made that together. Yeah. And Weta Digital is, like the, I think, like the forefront of it. I think that's why Andy Serkis got the job. Because I think he was recommended first for the role of the captain. I think... Or maybe he... Did the initial test, and Spielberg loved him so much, and they said, like, well, why don't we just have Andy do the character? By the way, I just, I just, I'm
1: looking at IMDb. Uh, the two detective, twin detectives. Simon <laughs> Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Which, Which is, I loved, and I didn't realize it the first time I watched it, and the second time, I'm like, oh my god, I recognize those Greatest,
1: two. that might have been the best casting in the entire movie. To yes. Me. Because the, they play off each other so well, and obviously they have such a long history together that, uh, yeah, the, you would have to cast both of them for a role like that yeah but no it was and Edgar Wright co-wrote it along with Stephen Moffat oh my god Stephen Moffat has his hands in this yes what I know right thank god he didn't direct it or it would have been like season fucking thank god Stephen Moffat didn't direct it
0: (sighs) yes you like (laughs) we have our issues with Stephen Moffat as a a showrunner there's a lot of good but there's a lot of Man. It's like
1: 50-50 between good and bad
0: Yeah As Doctor Who fans, we prefer Russell T. Davis' running of the show
1: Which is weird because my favorite episode of, of Doctor Who Is written by Stephen Moffat Because
0: I think he was a showrunner He was just script, he was just the teleplay writer on that Yeah
1: But go on Anyway, but yeah, so I was This movie did not did not disappoint me I was so happy watching it It was such so much fun and my favorite sequence is when they hit the the European town, and uh, Daniel Craig is trying to steal like this particular item at like this very this outdoor opera performance, and mm-hmm. he has his little hawk thing go and steal the neck this necklace off the opera singer in mid-performance, and then it turns in, it just snowballs into this giant chase scene, which is done in one shot, pretty much. Essentially, it's done in one shot throughout the town. There's and Tintin and the Captain are running like chasing after us. They eventually get it in very cartoony fashion in the necklace and then
0: all of a sudden there's a tank chasing after them. There's a motorcycle that breaks apart and there's ziplining across everything. Oh my god, it had everything. A tower is taken down with the tank. Oh my god, I forgot about the tower. The tower, that was amazing. And Snowy's fighting the hawk at one point for it. Do you blame Snowy? Not at all. Snowy's awesome.
2: Yes. But that, ugh.
0: Ugh. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. Maybe I should go as Tintin for uh, (laughs) Comic-Con. You could. You could pass. You just... You totally could! (laughs) Just get a white, stuffed animal (laughs) dog. I was going to go as Clark Kent, like, half being undressed as Superman. Just get the... Just get a suit and, um... No, you just got to get the weird pants. Yeah. And just gel up my hair into that little foam. Yeah, because
1: t- well, Tintin t- kind of is a g- yeah. Tintin is a l- is he a ginger or a strawberry blonde?
0: Strawberry blonde, but I think I could still pass. You it could still gin- pass it. Yeah, yeah, because my hair is kind of light, even for ginger.
1: Yeah, but yeah, no, I think for I almost wish after watching this movie that Steven Spielberg did more animated movies because he had because I mean we all know that he loves the move like move frame movement yeah he loves moving things through the frame yeah and animation is the perfect outlet for him because Because he has no limits yeah his limits are just whatever he puts on himself yeah and it would be perfect for him to continue to do these but he rather be he does rather be rather be an executive
0: producer on uh, like stuff like this with the exception of like it's Ready Player One because it takes place in a video game world, right? And a lot of people complain like, "Well, the CGI looks a little video gamey," and I'm like, well, "It's kind of it's a, video
3: it's a video game. It's a video
0: game. What did you expect?" I think that's where that's why I had no problem with the CGI looking in that movie. I'm like, it's gonna look like that. It's a video game world. It's also
1: yeah. Well, and everything you know about it, it's everything is out of place. So something, some styles and uh, designs are gonna clash.
0: Yeah. So. And that's why I love the end of the trailer, where it's like DeLorean's like going from flight mode to landing, and then all of a sudden he's zipping in and out of cars, and there's wrecking balls in the middle of the streets, oh, yeah. the, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, like if it comes out IMAX, I'm uh, like, I, sw- I swear that to God, we, God, I'm gonna go see it. Like, oh man. my God, <laughs> uh, The God,
1: no, but I mean, I can't help but, I mean, this movie, I mean, this movie made me want to go back and watch. The Adventures of Tintin when I was a, from when I was a little
0: kid. It's just
1: very hard to find them online. Really? Yeah, that's
0: surprising because the you figured there would been a re release with the movie coming out. From what I can tell, no. That's strange. Unless there's a rights issue, uh, there might have been
1: because it's still. I mean, the TV series is still French. It just has an English dub over it, right? So that that might that might be where it gets a little hung up on. Mm-hmm. because it could, might be some French studio and they're like, No, come, we do not want to
0: Right. Gotcha.
1: And then Steven Spielberg is like, I'm making a movie and they're like, Steven <laughs> <I know. laughs>
0: Well uh, he he okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, and, I, and like Tintin's probably the arguably one of the biggest characters in European comics at this point.
1: Yes and no. Or at least
0: recognizable. Most rec-
1: probably most recognizable because me being a geek, there is a super French superhero that's growing.
0: Right. So I mean, like you figured, Valerian would have been bigger, a uh, bigger hit because that was based off a hit graphic novel, like fr- a French graphic novel. But I think maybe it, I had not looked at the box office for that for like international. I knew it was not going to track well in the United States. There's no way. Yeah. Despite, no. Yeah. Even with Luke Besson's uh, track record of like the professional. Fifth Element and Lucy. But anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry for like fangirling on gym, It's too. okay. All right. So going from a European explorer to other European w- u- uh, travelers and my number eight movie that I was actually watching right before you came over, uh, Munich.
2: Ah, yes. <laughs>
0: I know, it's a total tone shift between your number eight and my number eight.
2: <laughs> it's, like, on the exact opposite scale.
1: Yeah, it's, like, it's on a level of, like... Yeah, I, if I'm going to be honest, Munich is an honorable mention for me. Right, okay. I mean, I, I liked it.
0: I'm never seeing it ever again. It's a rough movie. I, I will give you that. It is kind of a hard movie to watch. Uh, okay, so the story of Munich is about... It opens up with the 1972 Munich Massacre where... Uh, nine Israeli um, uh, athletes were taken hostage by Palestinian terrorists. Uh, were going to be escorted to the Munich airport to be flown out of there. Something went wrong. The The terrorists killed the hostages and they were killed at the airport. And so the, Israel decided to take vengeance upon the people who led this terrorist group known as Black September... Mossad signed off on this group of people to go and take down these 11 names that are Mm -hmm. hiding her throughout Europe. And so I remember seeing trailers for this. Me too. I think around the time – this may have been like – this is not 2004. I may have seen a trailer for this actually before Spider-Man 2, ironically, because that was the summer before. And I had no interest in it because Eric Bannon was leading it. And no offense to Eric Bennett, I think he's a really tremendous actor. He's he's fantastic in this movie and in other things. However, he was in Ang Lee's Hulk in 2003, and since I was not a biggest fan of Hulk, that kind of put me off of seeing this movie, as well as, like, I was not that big into serious cinema at that point, when I was just, I was like, I was 14 at the time, I was not ready to, I don't think I was mature enough for the subject matter to be handled at the time, and to me to fully understand it. And... The reason why I love this movie, and it's kind of a theme between all three movies in my top ten list thus far, thus far I should say, mm-hmm. and it was not pointed out to me until recently by my friend Alan, who I went to Oswego us- with. These three movies are Spielberg's response to In the Wake of 9-11, in right. various different ways, because you, you look at War of the Worlds and how you know, the catastrophe that happened, and you just, like see when, at one point, Tom Cruise comes back, he's covered in the human dust of the people who died, and it looks very much like the the survivors and the people who were there at 9-11 covered in the concrete that was, pretty much vaporized around them and show- showered them with it. Um, then you have Munich with this. With this is a we have had a violent response done against us. We will we will retort with our own offensive. Right. Where and it's, and it's not it's not condemning any of these actions, but it is putting. It is shining a light on these issues. And with Minority Report, we have the invasion of privacy of, like, we have these cameras everywhere, documenting wherever you go, and you, everything's going to be knowing where you're going. And so, it's, it's not it's not beating you over the head. It wasn't, like I said, like, I didn't know this, like, I've watched, watched this movie for years, but someone, when Alan put that out to me, like, I was kind of taken aback by then. I'm like, okay, this made all these movies a lot more interesting to me. And with Munich, my favorite scene in the movie, it might be, it's really intense, where they've planted a bomb in a telephone of one of the suspected terrorist leaders. And what they're going to do is, like, we're going to wait until this family gets leaves the house. We're going to wait until he gets on the phone. I'm going to give you the signal. And then you set off the bomb. That's what the team's going to do.
2: Yeah. I know this exact.
0: And they don't realize the little girl has gone back into the apartment. Mm-hmm. at the time because there was a truck that got in the way and blocked their field of view from the team and so one of the team members makes a call from the payphone the little girl picks up the phone and says hello hello and the, the guy holding the detonator just sees oh somebody picked up the receiver now I can the bombs on I can now detonate with his key all the sound drops out and they him and Eric kind of race across the street And trying to stop the bomb going off. And it's so intense because Spielberg being a person of, a student of Hitchcock, just like, oh, my God, something's got to be done, something's got to be done. And he's able to stop it just in time before it goes off. And you're like, okay, that was close. And another, like, favorite moment is, like, there was one moment where Daniel Craig, who is a member of the team, does hold the Walter PPK and silencer. At one point, a year before he he dons the bow tie of James Bond. Roger (laughs) Moorface. That's my octopussy.
2: (laughs) Roger Moorface.
0: There's also a scene between Eric Bana arguing with a Palestinian, like who he does not let on the fact that he's an Israeli, and they're having the kind of conversation why Palestine and Israel have had their issues for, for years, and their argument, like, they moral and ethical de- debate between the two of them, I think, is just fascinating. And how this takes a toll on every member of the team. And it's also one of the few Spielberg movies that have a explicit sex scene in it. A couple, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's it's explicit nudity, but it's never titillating. It's never like, oh, look at this... So, so, like, other than the sex scene that's near the end of the movie where it's cross-cut between the actual Munich Massacre. Yeah, Which is, is kind of slightly humorous, unintentionally. Because there's one more where, like, it's in slow motion, he's, like, he's in, like, missionary position, and he's trusting and it's in slow motion, and he whips his head back, and he's backlit, and all of his sweat just goes... <sighs> skyward. And it's supposed to be an intense moment, but, like, I maybe it's just my... Maybe I'm just... My maturity level is the size of my foot, so... I don't know. I didn't think that was humorous I, 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 it's I, unintentionally humorous because I snickered at it I'm like oh, I understand where you're going for it I just think it's the execution could have been a little bit better maybe a different take yeah but but the anguish that he's feeling in that scene I still feel for him yeah. I just feel like it's like oh you're trying really hard for this but I'm like hmm there's something there that's you may have gone too far yeah no unfortunately uh, t- just it's going to sound so stupid. No, well When means. I
1: first saw, I saw Munich, uh, I think it was late high school, early college. And, like, yes, I don't understand, like, I had th- knew the whole concept of you have sex with your wife when she's pregnant because what difference does it make? But then you're watching it on and this, you're going like,
0: huh. Yeah. Huh. And it's just, like, it's going to be the last time he's going to see her for a while, I, so I understand... I, I get,
1: but at the same time, it, it kind of made me feel like, these people just like fucking. Yeah, clearly. And it's just, like...
0: I mean, when I was going away to college, like, every, like the last time, like, last night I had with my ex, I we made sure to make it memorable well, and everything. Yeah, no, I get... No, I get
1: that. It's just the concept of having sex with a pregnant woman, I... Just
0: kind of threw me for a loop. You just, i just imagine the scene for Four Year old Version. Like, I can't do it. I just imagine the kid is just like, the, the giant penis coming at me. Like, no, and like it's not giant.
1: <laughs> Dane uh, Cook, does he grab it and like, I'm
0: in here? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, uh, bring it up, hey, do you remember again? They're talking about. Does um, <laughs> your
1: dick keep poking <laughs> in head. I-
0: <laughs> uh, I was listening to their X Men episode. Where they're talking about when Rogue first kisses her boyfriend and like sucks his life force. So, like, and he's like, it's the and "Chris, is, like, it's not as bad. Like, she's jerking him off, and let her. And she's so short She ripped his dick off. And he's like oh put it back, put it back. Is that your mutant you put my dick back, please.' <laughs> and his what and Chris's wife is like, "Yeah, you cycle up this heat vision and sear it back on." <laughs> Oh, boy. And, and I'm like, it's the last hour of work, and it's like, nobody, there's nothing to do, so I'm just like, in the corner laughing at myself, looking like a crazy person, <laughs> more than I already do. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I love, like, one of the other, my, another favorite scene of mine is, like, the last thing I'll say about this movie is when Abner's, Eric Banner's character is so paranoid, he's taking apart his, all of his appliances in his room, and he won't sleep in his bed because he's paranoid there's going to be a bomb somewhere, so he ends up Sleeping in the closet, as they mentioned earlier, like there's a guy I know who just sleeps in closets because he's just that paranoid. Because that's like where a safest place would be, and he gets that petrified. That he does it, and at the very end of the movie, Eric Bana confronts Jeffrey Ross's character, like, "What have we done? What have we accomplished? Every person we kill has been replaced by somebody worse. Why cut my fingernails if I know they're gonna cut, come back?" And it's like, it's like fighting a Hydra at that point, hail Hydra, uh, hail Hydra. Hydra. <laughs> Hail hey, Hydra, as we rip our own shirts with our arm movements <laughs> Or, like, your concert experience looked like a, a guy at a Motley <laughs> Crue show with his arms in front of him. Like, oh, I'm just going to keep my arms up like this the entire time. Anyway, Ugh. let's move on. You're number seven. Number seven. This is going to be probably further down your list.
1: Catch me if you can. Actually, it's not on my list. What? I, I had to remove it for... I, I had to make room for any Indiana Jones movie. Sacrifices I, had to be made. Yes. It was close. Like, do was... you have multiple Indiana Jones? Movies? I have one. Okay, I have one because I figured like it would just be unfair because then it'd be like one, two, three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, but, but of uh, course yours is gonna be Crystal Skull. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Sarcasm, uh, people.
1: So, Catch Me If You Can came out in 2002, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. This was the first movie I became aware of Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? A little kid. Yeah. Um, and it's about the story of this con artist being chased down by the fbi Hmm. and it's like the whole story of him when he first gets started like how he's introduced to conning and then how he builds up a career and then all of a sudden he's making it making extraordinarily big he's raking in all sorts of money while conning people and the fbi is now starting to catch on and then the whole thing is him running away from the fbi and then this mutual respect between tom hanks's character and leonardo
0: DiCaprio's character Two mice fell into a bucket of cream. One gave up and died quickly. The other one kept fighting and turned that cheese into cream and crawled out of there. Cream into cheese. Cream into cheese. To, and lived. Today, I'm the second mouse. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, and
1: I liked this movie when it first came out, but now as I mature and everything like that, it has, if you take the sh- the anime... Uh, Lupin the mm-hmm. Third, and make it extremely se- more serious, you get Catch Me If You Can. Huh. So, okay. I mean, Lupin the Third is a world-class thief being chased by Interpol's agent, Zenigata. Mm-hmm. Uh In this one, you just have Frank... Frank
2: uh,
0: Abagnale. Abagnale Jr. being chased by... Uh, Kyle Cal- Hanmatty. <laughs> I love Talon <laughs> Boston accent, or Massachusetts accent in this. Yeah, he has... He does that a lot. My name is Kyle
1: Hanratty. Sorry. Hanratty. God, I'm hearing it. It's just like (laughs) Boston people sound exactly like that. Yes. Oh, God. But, uh, no, this was a good movie. It was really interesting because they really delved deep into um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character very deeply as far back as you need to go. Like yeah. Where, why he started like this. Broken family yet again. Broken, another broken family, but how he, it, like, almost came natural to him like conning these people. Right. And, it, it's also really awesome how, fucking the FBI figures out and eventually catches, it does catch up to him. Mm. And, I, and I actually remember on the TV show, they actually had, uh, growing up on the Today Show, right before this movie came out, they actually had Frank Abbott,
2: I can't even
0: Abig
1: Nail, Ab Abig Ab- Nail, Nail Junior. Yep, yeah. Abig Junior. He was on the Today Show talking about in promotion for this. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, after he served time, he became he worked started working for the
0: FBI. I think like, at least by the end by the end title credit, I think he still does I work think he as does. in the forgery or check fraud for it. Yeah, because I mean, that why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, because it's he's still getting the thrill and of check fraud, yeah. But he's on the opposite side. He's and he's the, getting paid for it, yeah. So exactly. why wouldn't you? And you're yeah
1: making decent money that way too. Exactly. But uh, yeah, no, this movie was really, really intellectual, very intellectual. Um, if I, I mean, as a kid, I enjoyed it. So I'm can only I haven't seen it in forever, but it stuck with me for this long. Yeah. And um, the scene, there's a couple scenes that stick with me. Um, but like I would, the, honestly, the last scene where he's like in the, in the treasury, not the treasury, um, he's in a mint. Oh, right. In, in Mount Michaud, France. Yeah. Like, printing up checks. Checks. And he's just like, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And that, that's one scene that sticks with me, but for some reason, this one that's the most dramatic was him and his wife uh celebrating, I think he down in Florida their marriage and everything like that but he gets tipped off that the FBI is coming. Right. And in this one scene he has to tell her I'm not the person you mar- married. And I'm actually- out all the laws of cash. cash. And she's like, "What is this?" and it's like a yeah. young
0: Amy Adams in this. That was Amy Adams? Yes it is. Oh my god. Martin Sheen's her dad.
1: Yeah, but it's like he pretty much says, "I'm not this is not that not my real name." Yeah, I'm not This not- is not my real career. Here's a bunch of money. Run away. Yeah, and then he leaves, and the FBI gets there, and she's standing there with the ca- cash in her hand, still like like a thousand mile stare, because like her world was just taken and utterly destroyed. Right. And I think that was just brilliant acting and brilliant direction too. On top of that, right. It, yeah, that's that's the normal human response. I would believe. Like, I just mar- I just fell in love and married a man. Who I know nothing about I, do not, I it turns out I have n- no clue about right it's like wow and it it shows how like how cunning uh how cunning the char- the character is mm. and how extremely well he is into his craft because mm. he could fool relationships out of people too yeah and it's hard it's really hard to like like It's hard to dislike the main character. Right. But at the same time, it's re- you can understand why you don't want to like him.
0: Think of it this way. If you want uh, a reason why you could not like him, besides him being a lying douchebag, when he impersonates a doctor.
1: Yes. And how many that. bad
0: decisions he could have made. Do you respons- concur? Yeah. Uh, do you concur, doctor? Yeah. And like, how many lies are th- potentially threatened because of his ineptitude not being a doctor? Oh, yeah. Told me and then you're just like oh okay oh, he
1: uses the James Bond theme and series Spielberg uses because James we, Bond theme. because he this used...
0: is the same exact suit that James Bond wore. Oh really? Ta-da, ta-da, and ta-da, he gets cuz he's ghost cuz somebody tips him off the same like he, they call him the James Bond sky. We see him watch Gold, Goldfinger in the theater. Mm-hmm. He buys the exact same shu- suit that Strong Connery wears in Goldfinger. He drives a DB5. Yeah. With the Bond theme. And so I I, I, can just imagine Spielberg on set, like, all right, we got, like, two takes, go, but let's do it again. Yeah. Because, like, this is the closest thing I'm going to get to, like, Bond movie. Pretty much. Now, the movie itself, from start
1: to finish, was a very well-done movie, and I have... It's very hard to find... I mean, there's things you
0: can obviously nitpick, but to me, it it was a very well-done movie, start to finish. Right. And Guy Milks, who I mentioned before, like, him and I talked about, like, because we talked about, like, Spielberg, like, Hitchcock's influence on Spielberg. This is... Hitchcock's, this is Spielberg's pure Hitchcock movie. This is his North by Northwest. Yes. And... Which is a
1: movie I still have not seen.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, i got to rectify that. Okay. That's You would really like it. And I, I still need to see to catch, to catch a Thief. Oh, my God. Catch a Thief is so good. I know. And so both with we, Cary Grant. Both, so I think we need to have a Hitchcock-Cary Grant double feature night. That's, that's what it sounds like. Ugh. Um... I mean, even from, like, the opening credits is very much like North by Northwest. With the light there. Yeah, with moving. Saul Bass kind of credits. And then you have John Williams is definitely doing his best Bernard Herman when it comes to the score I here. Mean, the score was
1: great in this movie, too.
0: Because the real MVP for any Spielberg movie, half of your billion it said go to John Williams. Williams <laughs> in, the, in the words of epic rap battles. <laughs> um, and, and I love, uh, I mean, like, one of my favorite, this introduced me to Barry Allen, The Flash. Because when he catches up to, when Tom Hanks catches up to Leo's character for the first time, he busts in, he, Leo plays a cool and says, my name's Barry Allen, I'm from the Secret Service, because Secret Service is part of forgery, or at least money forgery. And that's put, that falls under their criteria. Besides protecting the pre- president, money yes, no, I, is yeah. part of the Secret Service. They actually
1: in the book series, uh, the Jack Reacher book series, right. they go into some detail into that because Jack, the main character's brother who dies in the first book. Great, great book by the way, The Killing Floor. The whole first book is about uh, forgery. Gotcha. And how his brother kind of like takes out the like printing like printing blank dollar bills uh, outside of the U.S. government, and then the whole mystery of like he was like his brother gets killed investigating like this forgery ring and mm-hmm. then jack reacher has to pick up where his brother left off because it's family
0: gotcha it's a great book by the way you should read it okay then <laughs> and so leo plays a cool and says my name is barry allen from the secret service and he hands him his wallet which is filled with all the kind of ripped off labels that he's taken off all the condiments and everything else that's in the room he plays cool and leaves and Tommy's in a diner that you've seen. Every, like that diner is in every movie you've seen. in seven, you've seen it in so many movies. He's writing down Barry Allen, trying to figure it out. And the waiter realizes, like, are you a big comic book fan? He's like, what do you mean, Barry Allen, the Flash? And he realizes, like, Barry Allen, he's he's a kid. That's why he's not in any of our databases because he reads comic comic books. He reads comic books. Barry Allen, the Flash. And remember, I even made my own meme. I took like a pit. It was two pictures of like Grant Gustin. Mm-hmm. Like that's a nice timeline right there. Close up of his face would be be shame if somebody messed it up. And as posted a picture of Leo from that scene, like Barry Allen, Secret Service. <laughs> I sent it <that> to Chris <laughs> and Justin. They're like, "Oh God, Barry that again!" <laughs> <laughs> it's worse. It's worse. The flashpoint what you've done here. <laughs> and so I, I just chuckled at that every time. Now, uh, yeah. So I like totally, catch me the was like catch me outside. How about that? Uh,
1: say yes, how about
0: that? Was my that was my runner up. That was my number eleven for the list. It was so close to being in the list. I wanted it to be here, but there were some of the ones that just had more sentimental value, but like but I, I totally sign off on Cat Me if you can. If you haven't seen it, check it out.
1: Definitely. I obviously I totally agree.
0: From going from kind of more recent, because uh, 'cause I've all my movies have been rather been from two thousand onward, except for this one. My number seven is dual. Okay. And so I saw this, I can't remember when I first heard about it. I remember, I think it was when I was first getting into, like, really into Spielberg. And I was seeing what his first movies were. Like, it was like this and Sugar Land Express. And I'm like, what's Duel? And I hear about it and I read the description. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. And I remember, I think I rented it from the Station Public Library Mm -hmm. here and was blown away by it, and then watched the special features on it. And I'm like hearing about that the movie was made in like 13, 14 days on location, which is crazy. Like how many setups they did. Yeah, I mean, like you've been on our shoots and like how many setups we try to get into a day. And we've stepped, stayed in one location. We've never done eight car chases. Exactly. We have to try to do a car chase. We do have to do a car chase. Mm. We haven't shot anything actually in a car. We never had even had a car dialogue scene. Yeah, we have. We have. Well, not driving. No. Yeah, with uh, with Spirit.
1: And in Cowardly Lot, yes. Yeah,
0: I was thinking Cowardly off first. But right.
1: Yeah, none of the car scenes were driving. Right. Yeah.
0: um So, yeah, and then, like, like, like cash Me If You Can, this is just pure Hitchcock. Like, this is the precursor to Jaws. yeah And because is. of the experience of this, that's why he ended up taking Jaws, because, like, this is like a Hitchcock movie. It's like the birds are psycho, but on wheels. Mm-hmm. That's how Spielberg kind of saw it. And Richard Matheson, who is a famous science fiction writer, who wrote a lot. Of, uh, he wrote, I'm pretty sure you have you have you have a computer in front of you did Richard Madison write Fahrenheit 451 but regardless the he wrote the teleplay for this that showed up in Playboy what did you say the movie Fahrenheit Four, like, it was the book I'm talking about oh, the book yes I'm pretty sure Richard Madison because I know Francis Rochelot who acted in Closing Cows the Third Kind I know he directed Fahrenheit 451 I'm pretty sure Richard Madison uh, wrote the book
1: Fahrenheit 451
0: do, 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 do. Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. My mistake. I always get those. I, I know some people listening. It. It's Ray Bradbury. You fucking moron! <laughs> yeah. That's that's our commented voice. That that is the Reddit comment voice that I hear. You fuck. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah. So with this, it's, it's fantastic. I. It's, it's just. What I like to call a movie, it's called Tension City, where it just keeps building and building, and eventually, like, one of my favorite scenes is when he's going up the mountain. He thinks he's finally can get away from it, but he learned early in the movie that his radiator hose is kind of frayed and he needs to get that replaced. Mm-hmm. And it finally, finally rips open. That was, a, uh, that and, was... Like, and he had the voice like, "Oh no, the radiator!" And starts steaming, and he has no acceleration whatsoever. And he's just trying to get to the top of the hill before the truck who's trying his standards to get up the hill. Like getting up the mountain, and eventually gets up, and he's just shaking the wheel. Come on! On! It's just like, and the camera's like, a super wide-angle lens that's like three inches from his face, so everything looks so distorted. That, that was unintentionally comical. That's unintentionally comical. It's like, <laughs> just freaking out. Um, no, that was actually, I was thinking about
1: that being my favorite scene, but that...
0: But, or, like, hell, or even when he gets to try to help the school bus get out the road, and... The truck shows up. Yeah. Or even, um... There's when it something- stops for the train, and the truck tries to put him in front of the train. Yeah. Like, that was one of the part of the reshoots. Like, they extend the movie a little bit, that scene. Oh, really? Which I wonder, like, how the hell did they get another truck to look like that? Because they destroyed the one truck. Oh, good point. Yeah, so I wonder how much NBC had to pay for that. But, yeah. Um, those are probably my favorite scenes of it. I love Duel. I put it on every now and then, especially because it's just interesting to see early Spielberg and see his um, paralysis of a, a visual filmmaker coming to fruition even that early one of my favorite shots it's like it's like a very l- long lens shot going down the road and you see that the car is coming it stops and he screeches to a halt the camera zooms out and it's, the camera's underneath the truck in the foreground Ugh. revealing the truck's been waiting for him you're like and it has like this big vertigo shot as it goes into him, and he's just like, "What am I gonna do? What can I do with this guy?" By the way, vertigo shots—my favorite shots that Spielberg, Spielberg does. And there's, there's, there's of course the most famous one he did in Jaws. Yeah, but there's also a bunch of them that um, there he's done very subtly. Mm-hmm. One I'll mention in my well, actually my my number one pick. But there's another one in Sugarland Express. At the end, Sugarland Express is about a movie about a couple who. Both been arrested for two different things. Their kid's been taken away from them, and put into given to a foster family. Goldie Hawn breaks her husband out of like minimum security prison to go get their kid back. Accidentally kidnap a Texas Ranger on their way, and now they they have a Texas Ranger hostage as they go across Texas with hundred cop cars following them right. as they become kind of folk heroes. As they reach Sugarland, there are snipers at the house. They, they believe baby langstrom is the only person at the house the camera's in the house over the shoulder of one of the texas rangers that has this, that has his hunting rifle his 30-06 and scope trained on them the camera backs up and zooms in so the cop the car approaching and the texas rangers start getting closer and closer and as the space starts to compress so i'm like elevating tension to such a yeah. huge, huge level now it gets another Vertigo shot when it gets to my number one. So, But let me wrap it up. Duel, I really love. Check it out. It is one of those great popcorn movies. You would love it.
1: Yes, yes definitely. I totally agree. But, You're number six, sir. So my number six is probably one of the most iconic war movies of all time, Saving Private Ryan. <sighs> what can you not say about this movie? It... When I first watched it, my first thoughts were – actually, I first watched it like bits and pieces on TV until I finally sat down and watched it. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously way better watching the theatrical cut of it instead of the TV cut. Oh, yeah. But Which they eventually allowed a lot more on TV. I mean, I mean like almost like unedited. Yeah. F- when it, FX started showing it, like, at, like start, like, start time is at, like, 9 or 10 o'clock at night, they got away with a well, lot of stuff. I think,
0: well, because I think at that point, you're part of safe harbor hours, and I think because of the historical significance, they, the FCC wasn't going to come down hard on that. No, like, but,
1: but this movie was ripped off in video games, and. Oh, Call of Duty well, owes
0: so much money. Not even Call of Duty, Medal of Honor. Which was developed by DreamWorks. <gasps> that makes sense. And Medal of Honor, Medal of Honor One, Michael Chikino wrote the score to that. Oh wow! Yes, that's why it's so similar. Mm. But like
1: Medal, but Medal of Honor has the exact same the same opening board of Medal of Honor is the exact same opening scene of this movie. Yes, D-Day. Yeah, and holy fuck! Like, like you don't even get a chance to breathe. It's just like, oh, well, here's an old man in, uh, at Arlington like rec- like remembering uh rem- just remembering like this whole thing and we get fucking thrown into d-day holy shit
3: yeah d- <laughs> d- d- d-
1: bombs exploding everywhere tom hanks loses his hearing and he goes in that slow-mo eerie thing you watch a guy pick up his arm other guys are bleeding which out. was parodied in so many things oh, so many other things but my god my god oh and then like the finally the battle it, like finally D-Day's over and you're getting all, the mission for, to find Matt Damon's character because his two brothers have three brothers have fallen in battle and um historically that actually that the Ninlin brothers that was like I think I thought it was the Sullivans. the because there was a movie called The Fighting Sullivans, which was based off of World War 1 Family, uh, like, three brothers served on the same Navy ship. And they were all killed. And that's because a lot of the regiments were built around geographical locations. Exactly. That's why World War II, you have so many guys mixed and matched. Yeah. But, yeah, no, so the Sullivans died in the, on the same ship, and that wiped out, essentially, a family name.
0: Yeah, and then you have uh, – I'll get – It's a lip,
1: But, obviously, this rule kind of has dwindled uh, in years to come because yeah i mean like what are you gonna do about it i mean yeah, now because um, back way back then it was more of like oh tradition family thing and well, now people don't even yeah,
0: yeah. um the nindland brothers were four american brothers of irish descent from Ta- Wanda, new york serving in military during world war ii of the four to survived the war but for a time it was believed that only one frederick fritz nindland had survived that was probably one of the Everybody, I mean, there had to have been multiple events. There has, there must have been. This probably was a more of a frequent occurrence. Yeah, but so, go on. So, so you have potentially this, and you have to get you or have to go to. The,
1: we, this battalion is holding down this this location in uh, probably Amsterdam. Um, you need to go get them. Yeah. So then you have okay, let's go. So you have the small band of band of guys led by Tom Hanks's character. What do you mean Amsterdam? Like, just the location. I think the final battle was... Is... Uh, oh, it's... Um, Rommel. It? The town of Rommel in France. In France. Thank you. So... And so they have to go get him. And then along the way, you have tragic losses and hopeful finds, stuff like that. And the one thing that stands out in this movie was how big it was. Yes. it. You felt like, you one, you were in World War II in Europe, but two... They have had so many people in this movie, it felt like they literally drafted Hollywood to get to be in this movie. I, I,
0: I, I, well, I'm trying to think of the other big World War II movie from the f- 50s, um, The Longest Day. Longest Day is a perfect example. It was like an updated version of Longest Day when it came to a who's who was in this movie. Yeah. And, I mean, you have Dennis Farina, you have Brian Cranston, you have Vin Diesel, you have Giovanni Rapisi, you have Matt Damon, you have oh. Ed Burns... Uh, the list
1: just keeps going on and on and on, on and
0: on, but
1: it but it's so well done. I mean, Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, Tom Hanks was brilliant in this movie. Yes, I mean, the setup was really the character you fall in love with. He's this hard at he's not he's he is doing his job yes. not because he want not not he's, because he necessarily wants to do it, but because it's his duty and he, he has to do it. And he's English. he was find out that he's an English teacher. Right. But he's a cat but now but then he was forced to be a captain in the army or Marines. Are they Marines or ar- Army? Uh, like,
2: I believe a they're army thing.
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure they're they're an army. I don't think they're the Marines. Ranger battalion, they're an army. So but,
1: Yeah, so they Yeah, I mean you just think about certain things in this movie, and you can't get help but get choked up. Yeah, I mean, uh, the battle, the small ba- skirmish between the German soldiers and uh, Tom Hanks's beta- like battalion, where the medic dies.
0: Oh and, my God, that was so heartbreaking. And, and when, he, when when he says my liver, and he feels his liver going on him yeah, and, and all of them are holding, holding him, him up getting, together yeah and it just tell us how to fix you and
1: the medic knows there's no fixing him
0: no he just he just wants more morphine just, he just wants to numb it out because he doesn't want to feel any more let pain go. Oh my god. and he starts screaming for his mother and you he, and, he, he, and it's even worse because he tells a story early on where there was times where he pretended to be asleep when his mother would rush home to see mm-hmm. him and everything when they're in the church and it's like oh god, god yeah Oh. and
1: uh, it's something imagery in this movie too is great i mean even after that whole scene the, in the church where they're sharing stories and then um uh the one character informs tom hanks that like you know we have a bet going on what your occupation is and he's like can we just hold off on you revealing it until like maybe the money gets higher yeah but it's like why we don't live yeah. 500 yeah 500 yeah Yeah. But then, like, they cut outside, and, like, it's the horizon of just the bombings. And it's just the silhouettes from it. It's so eerie because it sounds like thunder, but you know exactly what it is. Right. And it's so eerie. And, oh. And then, obviously, the final fight, the final battle. In Ramel. In Ramel with the bridge. And, oh, God. Everyone dies. Mostly everyone dies. Yeah. Um,. But my favorite scene out of this entire thing is when they have to go through that one town, um, in the rain. There's a cl- there's a sni- there's a machine gun, the uh, machine gun barricade and the sniper. Yeah. And like the, they're trying to send runners throughout and they get shot down. and yeah. they Fall and then the machine guns fire on them. Right. And then eventually they break through and then they're going through. It's like okay, well, where can we stay? Like we are where we can spend the night. They're like ah. Find somewhere. Right. As they leave Ted
0: Danson is the commander that they're talking to. Yeah, but also uh, Paul Giamatti
1: was the guy who was showing yeah. them through the town.
0: Right. And then the wall breaks down and, and there's they're that, all, oh. the standoff between the two of them, and that's when Ted Danson's crew comes out it from a ball all and, the... and wastes them.
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I. Oh. This is one of the best, probably one of the best war movies. Ever filmed. Yes. I mean, not to take away from some of the ones in, like, 1950s, 60s, and 70s, because yeah. some of those were great. Yeah. But this, this was very, this is just so, this is such a powerful movie because it's just occurred current, this is your duty. This is what you have to do to get one person home. Right. Yes, it seems ridiculous, but you gotta get that one guy home. Yeah. And, oh my God. and yeah that's that is only number six on my list
0: (laughs) well from your number six to mine we go from world war ii on one front to world war ii on another front for mine Schindler's list yes and now i mean it's a tough movie to talk about i mean We've had this conversation of what what is most what is Steven's most important movie he's ever made. Right. We've argued that it's either between Jaws or this. Or at least I have, because Jaws kind of invented the blockbuster. We, I think you and I have had conversations about this, and I think this because of all the like the Shoah Foundation that came out of it, and all the documentation and remembrance of the Holocaust that came out of this movie because of the success of it. And so Schindler's List tells the story of a Czech businessman named Oskar Schindler, who realizes that he could make a bundle of money by using Jewish uh, Polish people who have been moved into ghettos, and in order, like, use them pretty much as slave labor to make pots and pans for the war effort, while he reaps all the benefits. He he takes money from them to buy the said company to be used as a haven pretty much for them and eventually once Eamon Gomov played by Ray Fines, moves them into the concentration camps and Oscar makes it a mission to in, not directly but inadvertently to protect as many Jewish people as he possibly can because he is yeah. just so appalled by the things he's done shot in black and white it was the movie where Steven won his first Best Director Oscar, and you look at Spielberg's filmography up until this point, and after this, he's not the same filmmaker. I, you totally see that his movies completely
1: change after this movie, and it's
0: for. A myriad of reasons, because of him, because like he had done serious moves up to this point, like he had always been kind of labeled as kind of like not as a kiddie filmmaker, but as a popcorn filmmaker, because of like Jaws, Close Encounters, and the Indiana Jones franchise. But he had tried to make attempts of serious cinema before with The Color Purple and Empire of the Sun. Right. Both were critically acclaimed, but they were not financial successes. They're not. They were not. Reached the levels of. Like, the the levels of, like, Indiana Jones and such. Now, like, Whoopi Goldberg did win an Oscar for The Color Purple. She totally deserved it. Danny Glover has a tremendous performance. Empire of the Sun has a fantastic young performance from Christian Bale as a kid in that movie. Mm Because he's the lead. As well as a young John Malkovich and Ben Stiller are in that movie. And I'm like, holy... And it's like, holy shit, that's Malkovich and Ben Stiller right there. Duh! My brain cannot compute this all at once. And so... But with this, it's like, okay. Another big thing that changed for him is because he, he, he'd used a, def- a myriad of cinematographers across his years. Like, Douglas Slocum photographed the first three Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. Alan Davio photographed, like, E.T., Color Purple, and Empire of the Sun. Right. Dean Cundy would go on to photograph, like, um, Hook and Jurassic Park. But starting with Schindler's List. Spielberg's only cinematographer is Janis Kaminsky he's photographed every Spielberg movie since okay and you can tell the big difference you tell you look at the color and you look at the cinematography between Jurassic Park and Lost World and just immediately there's a difference between there is a, difference. a photographic difference between that and that definitely changed how his movies were kind of feel and everything and the black and white photography is fantastic I think it's Lee Neeson's performance is tremendous I it's probably one of Liam Neeson's best performances. If not his best performance. Yeah. I mean, I remember... He, I didn't see this until, like, when I was in college because I was almost intimidated to see it. Because I heard it's such a movie that pulls no punches. You
1: didn't see this in high school? I don't think so. This is... the I saw it in history class in high school. I don't... Mm, I
0: can't... If I did, I do not remember I did. Okay,
1: because I clearly remember... Five classes of watching. because this. It's, it's a
0: three-hour movie. Yeah, it yeah. takes a long uh, it takes a long time to watch it, but um, yeah, and I almost say like because Lee Nees is like biggest thing in the movie. He barters. What does Qui Gon Jinn do in the Phantom Menace? He barters for Anakin's life. I know. I I really just kind of like sullied that my point here by connecting Shinless list to the Phantom Menace, but. <laughs> It was definitely, it, it, it was there's definitely. certain
1: lines you do not cross. I
0: it. know, but I definitely this
1: was one of them.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I the reason why I bring it up is that that's why Lucas for Elaine Mason. And for somehow you're
1: going to connect this to Dirty Dancing in some shape or form because of three degrees of five degrees of Kevin Bacon, N-
0: seven degrees. Seven seven no, degrees. I, if I wanted to, I could, but I'm not going to. Um, so yeah, <laughs> just take away all the seriousness. I know, I know. <laughs> I had to play some goddamn levity to this movie uh. but i remember like re it uh earlier this week and i forgot how quotable this movie is and how charming lean it is, is and even ray fines as is despicable as he is in this movie that I mean, he ray fines was brilliant yeah and i think it's um it's probably why he was cast as voldemort let's be honest <laughs> um but he was also casted as m Oh yes, and uh, what a good job he did as um He was very, uh, very understated. He was a very quiet. He's a very quiet M. Yeah, not like but Bernard, that's more like going back to the original. Yeah, even Bernard Lee could like could be stern with stern, Baer. but he was not like. When, he was like the commander chief. Like we're the
1: stock of, of the intelligence community. Yeah, and he wasn't. Um, why am I going blank on her name? Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Thank you. Not Judy Dench. Where a shield like where, like
0: really give him give the, it to him yeah give him the, read him the riot act but anyway back to Schindler's does I think my favorite scene it would be a cliche to say the little girl in the red raincoat yeah but I think it's actually the very end when he says I have to run now because I'm considered a war criminal and a profiteer and they give the, the his the Jewish people that he gave him the ring and he realizes like why didn't I sell the car I could have gotten ten more people or the pin I could get at least two more people or at least one more one more person he breaks down like I'm watching it the other night tears are rolling down my face because I'm just like oh come on and like don't do that to yourself you did, you did whatever you could and it's funny this Spielberg brings us up and one of the behind the scenes like Oscar Schindler failed as a businessman before and after the war the only successful business he had was during the war itself and I think it's essential for people to see this at least once because I like, think it's an important movie. It's a and very it, important movie. And it's arguably his most important movie. And... John Wayne's score is fantastic. Um, I mean, you can't even just think about this movie
1: without getting emotional.
0: Yeah. And it's not like... It's like one of those movies that I realized it's like, you. Can't, it's like, what am I doing Saturday night? I'll watch Schindler's List. It, no,
1: no, 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 no. You have to be a specific mindset to yeah, say i watch it, this. And,
0: and kind of like a, a, a Clockwork Orange is like... like that's a very... Mind warp of a movie. It's like, like I'm going to watch that. Like, no, you got to be in a specific mood to watch that. You got to be, and it, and I made sure to watch that before I did this review or yeah. did this podcast, I should say. Yeah, but yeah. So that's my number six. What is your number five?
1: We're kind of sticking in Europe. Bridges Spies is my number five choice. Ooh, Bridges Spies came out in 2015, and. I watched this about a year after it came out on Blu-ray with my mom da- mom and dad, mm-hmm. and my parents absolutely loved this movie. Right. And I remember people saying, like, went to see it, and they're like, oh, it was so boring and everything like that. No! It was... Br- the Tom Hanks is a fucking shapeshifter. Yes. Sometimes he's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Sometimes he is exactly who you want him to be. And in th- this case, he was attorney James Donovan.
0: Or he's the weird cackling con man from The Lady Clothes. <laughs> the okay, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> that was a weird, weird movie. Connection Cohen Brothers wrote and directed the movie, wrote Bridge of Spies. So there you go. Tied it back in the movie. Go oh, okay. on. Okay.
1: But, no, I mean, um, Mark Rylance won best supporting actor when a lot of people were rooting for Sylvester Stallone to win for Creed in that movie (laughs) I love Mark Rylance but I I watched this and I was like it's tough it's really because it's like he Mark Rylance deserved it yeah and he does I me personally I mean it would have been great seeing
0: Sylvester Stallone get it but Mark Rylance's performance was so and I think I narrowed down to which scene clenched it when he explains the standing man story to stand- Donovan.
1: God. And then he relates it to the... Sta- oh, my God. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. I, I love British Surprise because I love, like, the one, like, Russian delegate that, or constantly he has to deal with, the, or the consigliere he Cigliari has to deal with. He deals not, with several. Yeah, but, like, the one who's, like, not Andy Circus, The one who kind of reminds you <laughs> of Andy Serkis. <laughs> yes. Who I referred to as, like, oh, that's not Andy Circus yeah. right there. But then, I
1: mean... This movie was brilliant because it. it I was aware of Aust- the Austin Power, uh, the the YouTube spy, yeah. spy plane uh, pilot yeah. who got shot down over East Germany and became a prisoner. Yeah, and his name was Austin Powers. Right. Um. He was being held. What I didn't know, I knew that he was being held and they eventually got him back. What I didn't know, there was also an American student who was trying to save his girlfriend and his girlfriend's family when from
0: East Berlin and West Berlin were
1: being yeah split. Was being split. And he got caught and captured, and he became a prisoner. And this story is how pretty much, um, pretty much how Tom Hanks negotiates with the U.S. with Eastern Germany and the USSR on behalf of returning both Austin Powers and that kid in exchange for the spy Rudolf Abel. Yeah. And my god, it is a what beautifully shot movie. Yes. You really felt like you were like. Like the night and day between what um, West Berlin and East Berlin. West Berlin is gorgeous. Yeah. Set up beautifully. East Berlin still bombed out from World War Two. Yes. Like, holy shit. And then the back and forth and like you kinda like like you, there was every reason to not like James Donovan. Yeah. Because they set up, he because his introduction is him smoothing him work being that crazy two for lawyer. one is
0: not the same it's one for one not two for one which he becomes the inverse of at the end of the movie when he's trying to barter two for one yeah but he but he managed I mean it's just the whole process and everything like that
1: um I love that at the end of the movie when he like they like he doesn't tell his wife where he is the entire time no until she hears on the news that this happened thanks to attorney James Donovan yeah And she's shocked is goes upstairs to find him Passed out because he, of just how insanely exhausted he was over the past several days. Yeah, and yeah, and then at the end of the movie when it goes to Black, how the U.S. kept using him, especially with the like of bay, bay pigs. Bay pigs. They wanted to get like f- like a small amount, and he re- a small amount of uh, refugees out. But he, and got- he managed to nearly get every single one of them out. Yeah, which I. My myself, my dad, and my mom ended up laughing at that point because that this man is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, and this movie is just brilliant itself. And I can't—I I don't know. Uh, this movie—it's um, not as heavy as the other other movies during the time. Yeah, but this has—it has rewatchability. Yeah, uh, you still have to be in the right mindset, but it's more you can watch this more often than Schindler's List. Yes. Um, the most—the scene that stands out to me the most was. He gets stuck in East Berlin, like his papers go missing and he ends up in like a small uh, police station until pretty much the uh, CIA negotiates his way out and prove that he he's not a spy and everything mm. like that. And then he has to take a train ride out of East Berlin to West Berlin and hit, watching the people try to escape over the wall and get gunned down and his reaction on the train is the helplessness. That you feel with him watching these people die trying to escape to freedom, mm. it, it, that was such a powerful scene in itself because that is why that wall was there to keep people, to make the comment to make sure the Iron Wall stands. That is what's stopping these people from leaving mm. because, from pretty much the, what the Russians wanted is to make sure that democracy doesn't win. Yeah. And these people want democracy mm. and the freedoms that has, that comes with it. And just them dying for that, and like you ha- helplessly watch them. <sighs> I mean, and not to mention the end of the movie on the bridge. Yeah, tense, and, and it's so intense because they're ho- because they're waiting. Yeah, because they're definitely going to get Austin Austin Powers for Rudolph Abel. Yeah, but they don't know about the kid. And, and didn't they change the name to Derek Powers in the movie? No, it was still Austin. Okay, because that's historically the guy's name. Yeah. Um, but then Derek Powers. Derek Paris is Batman Beyond. Never mind. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> that's why. That's why they didn't came to mind. <laughs> um, but then like the hold off, but like, I mean, Rudolph Abel also, I mean, the standing man story was great, but the whole thing where he's Tom Hanks, character asks Mark, Mark character, like, how do I know you're going to be safe? And it's like, well, there's two options that happen. I go over there, they embrace me and we get into the car. The other option is, I just get into the car. And then he gets over there. They open the door without any embrace and everything like that. He looks back at Tom Hanks and calling. Supposedly, he didn't get killed. No. But you don't know. Right. Uh, And And then... Your heart drops because, yes, this man was a spy. He was spying on the U.S., but at the same time... He's
0: going to his death. But
1: he was a likable character.
0: Yeah. And, like, oof, I'm surprised you're so calm. I thought you'd be upset or nervous. Would it help? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Uh, Which is typical Coen brothers, just wit. Just a little bit of levity in yeah, that situation. And, and, our, and that's also my favorite, my, like you said, my favorite my favorite scene of that, scene, of that movie is uh, him taking the train ride back and witnessing the gunning down and uh. trying to cross the wall, as well as... Um, I love how, like, everybody on stateside, like, a lot of people turn against him because they think he's well, he defending was, a war criminal. Well, he – because he had to.
2: Yeah.
1: Because that – because what? You have to show the communists that our system works. Yeah. He has to be defended. Yeah. it's and they, the guy, uh, his um, – the partner of the firm that he works for, he's like, this is not going to be a glamorous job, but you're the best one for this.
0: And he takes it seriously. He and, takes it very seriously. And he's just like, we kind of expected just to – sleepwalk through it he didn't yeah. have to really do anything for it he didn't have no, to go to the Supreme Court either but
1: he was like but you wanted me to make sure that America's freedoms or Amer- America's privileges are represented
0: yeah and like somebody even like does drive by in his house at one point yeah and even like the, some someone the cops is like harassing for it and the rest of the office is like yo yo this man is just doing his job leave him alone yeah
1: and then like when like he's found guilty yeah shocker yeah but then he's ne- talking to the judge like can't kill him the judge's like, "We have every right. We have every, every right to treason. get, yeah, can't hang for Jesus And it's like, "No, no, it's probably you can give him life in prison." Yeah. But say something happens where we need a bargaining chip with the Russians. Yeah, and he convinces the judge on that, and the courtroom freaking out
0: over it over the sentencing. Yeah, over the sentencing.
1: But it pays off. Totally. I mean, the whole movie is the payoff from that.
0: Yeah. It,
1: ugh. It's such. I, I love World War Two and close to World War post World War Two because
0: this is 1950s, I believe. No, this is two. No, this is late. Like, this is late 50s because I think it's 58, if I'm not mistaken. Do, 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 do. I know what one theory is because like somebody suggested the fact that maybe. Oh, I'm lying. It's not Austin Powers. It's Francis Gary Powers. Okay, as I was gonna say, like, but um,
1: there is a historical figure named Austin, Austin Powers. Powers. Yes. Yeah, sorry, but yeah, pa- apologies, people. Um,
0: yeah, I apologize, but Gary Powers is what he went. That's by. what I'm saying, like Austin Powers. Like, I know that's a real name, and it's parodied for the Austin Powers movies. But uh, um, <clears throat> some people believe that maybe Lee Harvey Oswald, when he defected to Russia before he came back to America, that he may have given secrets to the Russian army, and then all of a sudden the U-2 spy plane is shot down over Russia. People may hypothesize that maybe some of the information that Lee Harvey Oswald gave Russia was one of the information to be able to shoot down the untouchable plane. Yeah, But that's a theory anyway, but go on. Uh,
1: Just, I know I'm going very long-winded on this, but just to wrap up, one of the parts that also was very jarring was the prisoner treatment. Oh yeah, and it was... Uh, Gary Powers was, in his bed, bright lights, they come in, they torture him, they slow him back into his jail cell, turn off the lights. Oh, thank God. And then, like, almost instantaneously, they repeat the exact same process. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, Rudolph is like,
0: can I have art supplies? Why sure. do you want art supplies? Because I want to make paint. Okay. Okay. And they shoot that like on like tripod or on a dolly and everything for those scenes. And then when they do the Gary Power scenes, it's all handheld. Yeah. And everything's very harsh. And it just sells the effect even more and makes it the contrast even more. Yeah. I mean, but
1: it. I'm sorry. I hate to say, but I hate to say, but I love to say, but it shows how awesome America is. I know you would. <laughs> so, but that, yeah. Number five, Bridge Spies, is for me.
0: All right. My number five is lighting things up a little bit for... Oh. Can we go home? Henry, Indy, I know the way! Yeah! Got lost in the museum? Yeah. <laughs> After you, Junior. Yes, sir! Indiana Jones and the Last True. Crusade! Da, 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 da. Yes, Indiana Jones the Last Crusade is my favorite Indiana Jones movie from... and. Even when I was a kid, it was always my favorite. I love Riz, Lost talking. talk, and I do have... I've grown to a much more fondness for Temple of Doom. I mean, hell, Temple of Doom, name of the show, we'll get to that when we get to episode 98. Don't worry, people. Um, Can't wait for that one. Yes. And, um... So, yeah. Indiana Jones, Light's Crusade, uh, Indies, um, offered the deal to... Find, trying to find his father as he was on an excavation or an uh, expedition to find my father. <laughs> Thank you for Miami found connection. My I found my father from Miami connection right there for you. Um, sorry, had to. on, on this, on the search for the Holy grail and the search for the grail is the search of a father and son coming together. And Sean Connery plays, uh, Harrison for his dad. And as even though they're only like separated by 12 years in real life. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so the guy who played the original James Bond gets to play the James Bond kind of inspire. It gets to be the followers to the, insp- the cl- like protégé of, in, it's, in, yeah. of James Bond. The answer,
1: Spielberg's answer to James Bond. Yes.
0: And the reason why I love this movie so much is because when I was growing up, my dad and I did not have the greatest relationship. With, like, of course, I love my dad and everything. Like that. I'm not saying I didn't. But I guess, like, you always say, like, when you're a kid, you always lead to one parent or the other, mm-hmm. depending on who is your favorite. Either you, like, you, you gravitate more to your dad or your mother or your, your mother and your mother and your father and your father, depending on which whatever relationship you came up with. Um I gravitate loads towards my mother. I know it makes me so- Every time I bring up the stories, I feel like I'm, just making myself sound, sound, I'm making myself sound like Norman Bates more and more <laughs> from Psycho. And I'm just going to be like, well, oh, boy's best friend is his mother. Um... As life went on and things became kind of tumultuous in my family, my dad and I's relationship got became stronger and everything like that, and we became not just like in the end to this point where like it's it's got to the point where not just, well of course we're still father and son but it's more of that we're really good friends now. Yeah, and it's just like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Like I'm going out. What are you doing? tonight? So am I. High five! Woo! Yeah, as the bachelor lifestyle that we have right now, pretty much. Like, don't uh, don't wait up. I'll see you in the morning. That's the kind of thing that we get text from every now and then. And that's when I, that's why I bring out the Dean Martin records, like, and I realize I'm dancing by myself and I feel sad. Um, and so, of course, as an adventure movie, I love this. But as I got older, the relationship between Indy and his father, I loved even more, especially the scene when they're. After the motorcycle chase, after they got away from the Nazis, and they, Henry has a speech to his son. Their quest for the Grail is not archaeology. It's a race against evil. If it's captured by the Nazis, the armies of darkness will march over the face of the earth. Do you understand? This is an obsession, Dad. An obsession. I never understood it. Neither did Mom. Oh, yes, she did. Only too well. But she only kept her illness from him. Me. And then later on, when they're on the Dirigible... And they're having the conversation, like, you know the last time we had a drink together? I had a milkshake. What did we talk about? Nothing. We never talked about Dad. And they just had that kind of conversation. About you left. right where you started oh, I'm here now. Well, this is the, the diary. What do you want to talk about?
3: <laughs>
0: and, and, <laughs> Sean Curry's face
3: is
1: bulging. Ooh, his eyes are bulging. With out. the glasses.
0: Uh, I, have, I can't think of anything. So what are you complaining about? <laughs> or at the end the end of the second act when Indy is believed to be on a tank that goes over the cliff and kills the colonel and Henry's just like I've lost him I haven't told him anything all I knew is five minutes Marcus and I would have been worth it Indy climbs back up and has that one moment when they're everybody's looking over the edge thinking morning Indy Indy walks up behind them unsure what they're looking at looks over himself <laughs> and it's a, Henry does a double take. Yeah, and it's like I thought I lost you, boy, and he embraces him. And at, of course, at the very end, where they've gotten the Grail, Elsa has crossed the seal, and the temple mm-hmm. or the starts collapsing on itself. Elsa falls and dies. Andy's trying to reach the Grail at this point. That's almost reached that. over the chasm, and Henry's trying to hold on to me. in the entire movie, he's called him Junior because his name is Henry Jones Junior. Yeah. And for the fine first time, he says, "Indiana, Indiana, let it go." Oh, and, uh, and, and, and just like I, wa- oh, I want, to watch this with my dad now. I want oh to watch this with my dad. and I want to give him the biggest hug afterwards. It's a very
1: father-son movie. It yeah. really
0: is. It,
1: like you're just thinking about, just specifically thinking about the Indiana Jones and uh, and his father scenes together. It's very heartwarming. Yeah, and oh. Uh, and like, Andy shows his dad like this is how you do shit
3: now.
2: Yeah,
1: and then but his dad is like, ha oh, ha, oh, watch this. Oh, in
0: a way, with a, and then I remember my Charlemagne, Charlemagne. my armies, beat the the trees and the rocks and the birds <laughs> in the sky. And then he just watches his dad walk off with a smile on his face, because- just like so. This, this is where I get it from. And this is like this is the man. Like I understand. Like, he just becomes. It's almost like, not an epiphany, but there's a greater understanding of his father at that yeah, point.
1: Yeah, like you're seeing him through different eyes.
0: Yeah. And I guess, like, you could say my favorite scene in this movie is the tank chase and the following of it, because it's just, a, it's, every indie movie has the great set piece. Uh. Raiders, it's arguably the truck chase where he goes underneath it yes. and gang the arc or the fist fight that he has outside the giant wing. Yeah. Temple of Doom, it's the mine car chase, or Obviously. the preceding fight before it. I would give it to the mine car chase. Okay.
3: Water! 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 water, 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 water.
0: water. <laughs> As the giant floods, racing down the tunnels, almost drowns them. Uh. Moram! Premier to beat Kali in, in hell! hell.
1: Hold on, lady. We go for a ride!
0: Oh, God. It's gonna be oh, sh- my
2: God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, I can't wait till we to talk about um. Tell Doom. And so, yeah, I mean, and I love one of my favorite moments is when he cuts to inside the tank and it's, it's like pushing on the Colonel. Forrest Jones! He screams and just cuts to slightly in slow motion and he just runs up. He's riding the horse and he shoves the rock into the side yeah. tank. Yeah. Uh, Cannon, that makes no sense it wouldn't would it blow up no it would shoot through, it would they yeah. did that on mythbusters okay mythbusters ruined so many movies but it worked for the movie yeah no like <laughs> the biggest like thing that happens is when indies later caught on that same busted now yeah why he, the just, strap. Had, he, he the just strap he just he just out. had to,
1: like fish through the satchel and then he was free yeah. but no he was not
0: leaving that bag behind yeah and it's just like Oh, uh, and I've, I love like, I love at the point where all the Germans jump from the half track onto the tank, and Indy grabs the Luger and boom, and like dominoes, all four of them go down. It's just that one look he gives down at the Luger, like huh, and then gets cracked by the Colonel again. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, Indiana Jones the Last Crusade, my favorite Indiana Jones movie, and I absolutely love it. But now let's move to our top five. Oh. I'm just going to be honest with you. My top
1: three is probably predictable to you. I okay. kind of figured. Yeah. But top... Well, we're in the top five. We just did number five. Oh, yeah. It was number five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I- number four. Number four, yes. Well, it's my turn to get sentimental. Schindler's List.
0: Oh.
1: <sighs> I mean, we already talked about it, so I don't have to spend too much time on it. Right. Thankfully. But my God, what an amazing, powerful movie. Yes. And... I saw this in high sc- history class in high school, and it was the course of a week we watched it. And, I, you know, you're in high school, you're trying to be macho and everything like that. And I was having so much trouble keeping my shit together at the end of that movie. Yeah. It was so hard. And the worst part is leaving class and like, but that was the most boring-ass movie ever. It's like, you didn't fucking watch that! But... Oh, my God. No, it's just such a great movie. I mean, it's just so powerful. And, like, the story about this one man's quest to... He didn't set out to save Jews. He needed workers for the war. Yeah, But it turned into an obsession to save as many as possible because he sees the horrors that they're going through. And, no, they do not deserve this fate. No.
0: And... It, it's so great. I mean, he when he befriends. Uh, How, <laughs> love the moment when Ben Kingsley asks, "How many cigarettes have you smoked? A lot. Why? Because everyone you smoke, <laughs> I smoke half of them as they're making up the list. <laughs> yeah. As he's I mean, pacing it, the room. There over are and
1: humorous over. moments. I mean, you can't have a super dark movie without. Oh, some there's a lot of
0: humor. humor. It's like that's a nice shirt. Where they're in all the Jewish people are meeting up in the Catholic church to make their they're doing their yeah. black market uh, deals with. Yeah. I mean, also when
1: the papers like, oh, you need this paper, and it's like it's too clean. He crumples it, up, pours it,
0: pours coffee on coffee it. On it. <laughs> I am like, I am a, initially he's like, I am a teacher. It's like, I am a metal, I am a metal machinist. It's like, like, all right, nobody pay attention to me, or
2: yeah,
1: yeah. No, what? I mean, my. It, it's hard to disconnect between the little girl in the red coat. Yeah, in this movie because that's iconic
0: because she's the only piece of color other than like candles at the beginning and the end of the movie. Yeah. That's and then you
1: know, yeah, and obviously when you see her body go by at the, towards the end of the movie where just, and they focus. on I, her. I totally
0: forgot. We watching it this week. I totally forgot they exhumed the bodies. Yeah, because they have the to cling, burn them. The clear, uh, the clearing it together and, and and the power like before
1: you get there, it's it looks like it's snowing in summer. It's but yeah, and it's like ash. ash. Holy
0: shit! But and it's like. Oh my god! And then while we we see this, the surviving Jewish uh, people digging up the bodies, and then you see the one German just in front of the flaming bodies turn around to scream at the camera, just like ah, and he's just losing it. And I'm like, I had to it, put my hands on my head. I was like, this is this it, is, is madness. Mean,
1: yeah, yeah, no, but um, what was I thinking? One of the more powerful scenes that like, kind of like God works in mysterious ways thing is with the rabbi in the machine shop. Where they want to see how fast he can make a hinge, and he makes a hinge at good time. And they're like, oh,
0: well, that's impressive, but why is your so box so so empty? And he's like, well, the machines are being calibrated earlier in the day. That's why I wasn't doing anything, for anything in the morning. Gommel takes him outside to execute him, but... And one Luger jams, the other Luger jams... A
1: third Luger J, jam- and then another guy pulls out a smaller sidearm, and that jams. And just, you just and, pull- and out of frustration, they just knock him out.
2: <sighs>
1: it just, but that the whole build up to that scene was just like, oh my god, I'm going to watch this guy die, and he doesn't. It. it was like, it was like one of those things where it's like, it's probably a very true story, yeah. small story, I d- might not necessarily have happened
0: that exact way, but that exact
1: way, or in uh Schindler's factory. But, but it could have. And it's like one of those things where it's like, I mean, I don't want to get too religious here, but it is something that maybe God does work in mysterious ways and right. stuff
0: happens. I mean, it's a rabbi, yeah. man of the God, and he was spared. Yeah. Um, and then there's also when the women's train is accidentally sent to Auschwitz. When they're supposed to go to check, they're supposed to go to Czechoslovakia, the, the town the town. Oh, I, Aus- don't, I don't remember that. The women, the men's, the men and children, the men, the, the the boy, the the men were on one train, the women were on another train. The men show up in the town where Oscar's setting up his new factory, his hometown, and the women's at we don't know where the women's train is, and you just see him traveling. and They think they're going to a safe place, and they they one of the women looks at the car of the train and it sees a kid just uh just cr- bring his finger across his neck as to symbolize like like being killed. Um and they pull into a station and into this kind of factory and you don't know what it is and then just the text just pops up and it says Auschwitz And you're like yeah oh and then you've heard the rumors of what they were doing to Jewish people and like they were like that's why would they kill us they they're yeah, they're, they're
1: ushered into the cha- those chambers and they're freaking out because it's like oh my god these these urban legends these are true and then the water turns on which was horrifying at first, but then it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh.
0: Yeah. But you're just like, because like they're shaved, they're given soap, and then there's, they're dragged into the into the showers. You're like, uh. And you, you the audience is on pins and knees don't know what's going to happen. I mean, and the yeah. water comes on, you're like. I think you, uh, I mean, they initially scream. I think the audience screams, too. Because
1: it's like, and mean, like, just shock. You're like, oh. But then it's like <sighs> their, their relief is the audience relief. And you're going, like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank yeah. you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but with all that being said, I think my favorite scene. That's. It's kind of hard to say because this movie's just. But uh, when the German soldiers are going through the ghetto. And they're finding they're they're dragging the Jews out. Yeah. They're finding them in hiding spots and like
0: you know what's happening. Is during the day or nighttime? Nighttime. Oh. And the German
1: soldier is on the
0: piano. And the one... They don't know it's Bach. And he's this guy just playing... Really...
1: Fantastically. But it's... The music tone to what was going on was such a contradiction.
0: Yeah. But, oh my god, it was such... Oh my god. And the one image that always came to mind, other than like, it's when it's two soldiers in one room, and they're facing each other with their flashlights, and then they turn to their right, and just the second half of the room is just illuminated with people who raised their hands, now they've been found out. Another image that comes to mind is... um, when it cuts to, like, a bird's-eye view of the entire ghetto, and you just see the windows light up with muzzle flashes, and you hear the corresponding gunfire to go with it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah.
1: It's a movie that needed to be made. Yes. And Spielberg masterfully did it, but... it I don't think I'm putting too much emphasis on it, but it's a movie that changes you after you watch it. Yes. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. Anyway, you're yeah. number four. <laughs> it's weird though how we flipped his World War II story has been flipped for us. My number four is Saving Prior Ryan. Oh wow, we totally did flip those. Yeah, so that's that's, <laughs> uh, that's weird. Um, yeah. So as we mentioned before, um, it's the story of one battalion or one platoon going out to find Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. I love that somebody somebody made a video of like trying to articulate or trying to estimate how much money people spent trying to save Matt Damon, yeah. whether it be this, uh, Interstellar, or The Martian. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and it's like $500 trillion or something like that. It's like an exuberant <laughs> amount of money trying to save Matt Damon in movies. Um, and so I saw this. My sisters um, played on traveling soccer teams so we, we sometimes would go out of state to go to two soccer tournaments right and it's funny it's it's the reason why i brought this up before it's the reason why i could sleep anywhere is because my family would get one room my mom and dad would get one bed my sister steph and eileen would get the other bed and i would get the floor and i would get so used to being able to sleep on hard surfaces with just a pillow and a blanket Mm -hmm. now i could fall asleep anywhere because my body's just like all right anything that's relatively even that's not that comfortable i can just i can yeah I can turn it off. And so it's because it's ripped like this. And I think we're, uh, I forget where the hell we were. Maybe, I don't know. I don't think Georgia, but I don't think we were in that South, but uh, it rained the Saturday, this weekend of it. So like the tournament was off that day. So we're all stuck in the hotel room. We didn't know what to do. So we ordered this on pay-per-view because we've heard so many good things about it. And my parents being, had all three kids that are relatively the same age. Think it didn't get, out to the movies that often, so we're all sitting down to watch St. Briar Ryan. And the first scene where it's the old man walking through Arlington and his family just a few feet behind him, just letting him have his space, like, that is a t- and especially when he falls and he falls on his knees in front of the graves, and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is like this is this rips out your heart and then it hard cuts to, to D Day. Yeah. And you're just like and it's one thing, it's one thing that I always remind, I owe oh, it's once, like, it's this articulation. Steve Spielberg, like, most of his stuff has been mixed at Skywalker Ranch ever since Skywalker Ranch has been a thing. Huh. So you'd hear a lot of, like, stuff that are in Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Do we have a Wilhelm scream? I don't think so. I think uh, it would have been inappropriate. That would have
1: been very inappropriate.
0: But it's the D-Day landing, and it's like... Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, says, I'll see you on the beach. Whistle is blown. The first draw of the ship, the drawbridge, kind of falls down. And and it's the low whiz. It's the first whiz of the first round that hits. It's like... (laughs) And it's the first four soldiers Mm -hmm. torn apart by the MG-42s in in the higher position at the top of the beach. And then it cuts to behind them, behind the operators of the mg42s and you see in their point of view as they're gunning down everybody in the boats and everybody goes over the side i will like think that sound will always stick with me and then it's the above water sound boom, underwater above around underwater yeah nighttime daytime. daytime as that vine if you want to look up nighttime daytime you want to hear that understand that joke and of course it's the shell shock moment that become a cliche of so many moves and video games afterwards yeah but his point of view if the dude picking up his own arm where you'd see like my favorite is in South Park where they did Imagination Land where the villains break into the hero side of it and destroying each other and Ron McDonald's looking for his arm he picks up his arm it's, it's the only clown arm he can find and it's the striped arm,
2: oh it's the classic god. outfit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I always lose at that part. And, and the slowly making way up D Day, and, and it cuts to the one dude who's holding it in his intestines, he's screaming for his mother. And you're like, oh my god! Or the one priest who's giving uh, the last rites to a soldier out on the beach. Uh, it's just, and like at the end of it, you're like. Tom Sizemore takes dirt from France, puts it in his tin can, puts it in his backpack, and it's like, at some view, and he says, yes it is, and it has the, kind of like the huge crane shot over the devastation that's happened on D-Day, and you hear about the fact that it took him 20 days to shoot that, they shot that pretty much in like, in sequences, going the way up there, and the producers come to him like, how long is this going to take, like, I don't know, we've just got to this part of the beach, I don't know when we're going to finish this sequence, because he threw out his storyboards, and he did all, he shot from the hip, from this this movie. He, I don't think he storyboarded a damn thing. It was just like, I'm going to throw it all the way, and just let whatever happens happens. Mm-hmm. And this started the trend for that kind of style of filmmaking, where it's like the heavy handheld camera, long lenses for it, and like what they like the everything's very like if you want to shoot on your DSLR, you crank the shutter up so everything looks very smooth. There's no motion blur whatsoever. So them running up it, you'd see every detail of it. Right. And on the film camera, it's a low shutter angle. And the reason why it works here and it kind of fails other movies like Battlefield LA or whatever, how many other Hollywood movies it does it, it's the same reason why some of the action sequences in Terminator 2 works because the camera stays in pretty much only three positions. Behind Tom Hanks, to Tom Hanks' right and directly in front of him. Mm-hmm. It maintains that axis, so you know the geography of the beach, of wherever he is. So either we're following him from behind, we're following him from the front, or following him from the side. So no matter whatever they cut to, you always know where he is, and so it's that kind of dedication to maintaining that kind of screen direction. So no matter wherever they cut to, you always remember where the hell you are. Right. My favorite scene in the movie might be... When the platoon's falling apart, Tom Sizemore pulls the gun on Ed Burns because he's a, he's ready to abandon them because they're angry with Captain Miller for taking this hill. They let the German soldier go, which does come yeah. back to bite him in the ass. Um, and Tom Hanks reveals who he is. And he's like, I'm a school teacher." And he says, I teach English competition in a small town in Pennsylvania. I teach, uh, I play I'm a softball coach in the, or a baseball coach in the, the spring. Yeah. And before that, where he go, Tom Hanks goes to sit by himself and he finally, he breaks down in tears because he's just bottling up this entire movie. And this movie is fantastic because it's, like I said, it's a who's who. You see Vin Diesel get sniped out early in the movie. Giovanni Verbisi is the medic. Like I said, Ed Burns as Rybin, the one who's been the most vocal against this mission the entire time, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: is the one who lives, ironically. What, the number two? The guy that... Uh, He was the one who operated the BAR. Tom Sizemore doesn't live. The translator lives. And he lives too, yes. Those two were the only two of the original battalion, or the original battalion that lived. Just go back quickly to the point. Yes, they released the German... Because, because they
1: can't keep them as can't, a sp- you can't keep them as a prisoner of war because they have to move quickly but two you you can't you can't you could several million several thousands of Germans died that way yeah. to be
0: honest but that's technically a war crime yeah and they like and this is like it would be sacrificing the humanity if they would kill him yeah and, and that's why Tom Hanks will not cross that line yeah and the translator
1: befriended him yes. in that
0: brief time like these are other human beings they're not animal no and, and it's an interesting thing about other than that that german you rarely see a close-up of any bad guy i mean doesn't translator kill the that guy yes. at the end because he shoots tom hanks later on in the movie or shoots tom sizemore later on in the movie yeah. on the bridge yeah but it, it, but everything else like that you see the germans from a, a distance Yes.
1: You never see... He was the only one you saw up close.
0: And it's the same thing, kind of like the same thing, like in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, we never see any Germans from close up. They're always from a distance. We never... We, There's always a separation from mm-hmm. them because you always consider them just simply the enemy at that point. Um, and I think it's a really interesting decision to make that or a choice to make it that way because he's just like, all right, like, okay, that's interesting to see it like that. And then... Um, the scene that tears me up at the end is the very end where it cuts back to the old man who we thought was Captain Miller because we assumed no it's Matt Damon it's Matt Damon and he asks his wife am I a good man he questions did he deserve to be saved yeah and it's like and you're questioning yourself like did I live a good life was what I did with my life was it worth all the lives that were put down before me and you're like that's kind of like an existential question like do I deserve this? Am I worthy of this kind of sacrifice? And it's like, yeah, tough movie, but it's essential seeing. And it's one of the greatest war movies ever made. Oh yeah. Easily. Bar none. Anyway, you're number three. Thank God we're getting into something more joyful. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's going to be super
1: emotional here.
2: (laughs) Uh, Okay. A goose, <laughs> a goose.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So not this is not going to be a sh- the, like I mentioned before. Tim is not going to be surprised by my top three. Maybe the f- two and three. I don't know if you guessed. Yeah. Let me know if it's true. Number three, Jurassic Park. You knew. Yeah. Okay. Because I think we had a conversation once.
0: Yes. Okay, I then, know. I that I, I know you're a two and one then. Yes. Okay, so Jurassic Park is... I, I'm just going to say, our three and two are switched. then. Oh, okay.
2: Okay, <laughs> yeah, but go on.
0: Okay,
3: okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: all
1: right, so Jurassic Park. Uh, I was a kid when I first saw this. Yeah. We had it on VHS, and oh my god, I didn't understand it as a kid. There was just dinosaurs. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> all we do was dinosaurs. But the movie aged so well since... I was a little kid obsessed with dinosaurs now to a movie, actual movie fan. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um,
0: you two, um, well, so I pointed this out on another <laughs> podcast that what was it like when they were trying to land a helicopter, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Um, when, and Sam Neill's Grant pulls up two female ends to a seatbelt Mm-hmm. What does he do? He makes them work. Yeah. Life uh, uh, uh,
1: uh, finds, finds a way.
0: Go on. Um, so, yeah. I was
1: a little kid when I first watched this movie, but, like, rediscovering it as an adult, it's so good. Yes. The story is brilliant. Uh, the And this was groundbreaking uh, CGI. But it, was, it worked so well because the CGI was also, uh, co- like, coincided with uh, puppetry. Yes. Whenever it was a close-up, it was a puppet. When it was a distant or a wide-angle shot, it was a, it was CGI. Yeah, so it worked and looked brilliant. And today, it still beats out a lot of movies that has poor CGI. Yes, um, and it's I, honestly it's so much fun. This movie um, it has everything that you want. It has the the awe, the awe, the grandiose of these dinosaurs. The like you, the wonder of it all. But it also has the horror of The Predator's getting out, and it's all of a sudden a a man-versus-nature survival movie. Yeah. And you you have – Ian Malcolm. I mean, come on. Like, you have to – you have him to deal with. Uh, I actually had the privilege – I don't know if it's a privilege or not, but I just took – I took the opportunity to uh, buy the audiobook of Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And the differences –
0: It's it's – Tone wise is very different.
1: It's very di- yeah. Tone wise, it's very different. They're, they downplay the majesty, yeah, of the situation,
0: just, and they play it up as like hard, like science fiction at this point. Yeah,
1: but like, um, like the key differences between the book and everything. Malcolm dies. Yeah, he dies of infection. Hammond dies. Hammond dies by uh the um. Smaller dinosaurs Copies than, right Com- so yeah. Copies yes
0: yeah. Um Fuck what's his name uh... Muldoon The hunter Muldoon lives Yeah he uses like RPGs at one point Or rocket Or like some kind of Like rocket launcher yeah, at one the, point. L- Gennaro lives Yes
1: And Ellie Uh Yeah Ellie lives Gotcha So let I me mean, Ellie lived in the movie too yeah. But So like the people Who lived and died Changed mm-hmm. But it, for the movie's sake It worked Yes I mean, they the book is the book, but the movie is the movie. So it's very they're it's pretty much take the same blueprint, but then build off of it whichever way you want. Right. So that being said, the movie was brilliant, and I mean, you and I saw you and I, and Zach saw it in theaters um, at the uh, Huntington Cinema Arts Center one one summer night. Yeah, paired with paired with Indiana of Raiders: of the Lost Ark, and that was brilliant night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. just great i mean favorite scene which i still think is probably the most perfect scene you will ever get in movies period is when the t-rex comes out of the holding cage no music you know what's at stake and it is shot and paced brilliantly where's the goat (laughs) <laughs> and then, like the T Rex moving its hand across the electrified thing, and nothing happens. And it... yeah, and then goosh,
0: goosh, and then it roars and just like, oh shit! <laughs> so, did you see the latest Justice lee trailer? Uh, no, I still haven't. At the very end, like they're hinting at somebody, like Alfred's addressing somebody, and there's like. Like, you, like he's working on the car And it's like he has his whiskey uh, glass And it shakes Like boom Boom And he addresses somebody Off camera Like He said you'd come back Hopefully you're not too late So people are like Obviously it's the T-Rex Rob uh, oh, I mean, I mean. And so somebody like Took that clip like Hopefully not too late And they just intercut it with the T-Rex, like, roaring out the cage with <laughs> a, a red cape on him. <laughs> so I'm like, of course, T-Rex versus Parodemons? How, t- how does Bruce get the T-Rex in his Batcave in the first place? He probably dies in the battle. He cherishes him. But actually, um,
1: I mean, another... Actually, the Nostalgia Critic does a great review of Jurassic Park, and he even... Uh, he, he he even goes on. He has nothing bad to say about the scene whatsoever. I mean, yeah, he get you know nostalgia. He will make fun of everything, but instead we don't question.
0: There's a clip there suddenly.
1: Yeah, we, that's a whole. That's a yeah. That's a whole continuity thing. But at that moment, that specific moment, it was brilliant. Yes, and Lex, Lex is choking me. <laughs>
0: Grab the wire. And it's <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> now he's turning to a couple of kids, making noises into a microphone, It's like, whoosh! Get the kids! Take them over the side! Oh Jesus! Oh, oh yeah.
1: God! When you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> then that's when the wires get starting yanked the, off. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this movie other than it's just utter brilliance. Yes, I mean it's a shame that the sequels after it can, mm, can't hold a the candle. They can't hold a candle, I even mean, despite
0: I... Spielberg trying with Lost World.
1: Yeah, I mean Lost World. Uh, retro retrospective, Lost World is still the best out of the sequels. But even you, you enjoy more than Jurassic World. Dr- Jurassic, I was so like. I liked Jurassic World initially, but then you start thinking about certain things, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. No,
0: that's why I don't think, I, I don't think I've really... I don't think I've watched it since the theater when you, Vicky and I, went to go see you it. You said you walked out of the second time you saw it. Well, I was in a very... Bad mood. Bad place at the time. I just wanted to see the the secretary die again. And uh, once I got that, I was like, Ugh! There was no reason for her to die, though. She, she was, no, but it was such a harsh way to... I mean, like, picked up by a pterodactyl. yeah. Dropped to the ward to be pecked at, and eventually eaten by her. And then all of a sudden, like, the megalodon comes out and eats her and the pterodactyl.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But,
1: uh, it, it's better than Jurassic Park 3. Yes. Yeah. We can all agree on that one. Alan. Alan. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> oh, you like
0: the T-Rex? Well, for prefer to like the Spinosaurus. You like the Spinosaurus! <laughs> hey, you like, you like the T-Rex? That's where, that's where you do the neck of the T-Rex, just snap. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, no, Jurassic Park, number three, brilliant,
1: brilliant movie. But, okay, side note, it's, Steven Spielberg was shooting Schindler's List when Jurassic Park was in post-production. Yes, George Lucas took over. Well,
0: Steven still had to make some Yeah, with with, uh, video, uh, like, video, like, calls in, like, 93 while he was, like, in Poland. Yeah, how do you do that? I mean, as in, like... How do you transition your brain from oh, my God, dark, dark history to, to t- T-Rex's dinosaur movie. It, it's I mean, like, like, maybe it was kind of helpful for him to get his mind off what the previous, the, the, that day's work, but then again, it's the switching, is, switching gears like that. It's so jarring. Yeah. I mean, I know he called, he'd have Ron Williams on the phone to tell jokes to him to cheer him up. So I just imagine, yeah. like, Robin Williams like, bumping lines like oh Steven oh oh, oh 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 don't take my kids oh oh my Jack <laughs> <laughs> my Jack <laughs> Steven Steven remember we had Glenn Close play oh, a man and nobody knew him oh, oh, and we had George Lucas and Carrie Fisher kiss oh no I I'm making fun of a dead guy here I realize this and maybe you're doing s- the nostalgic
1: Kirk impression of Robin Williams yes
0: yeah <laughs> genie off the lap oh, applause Thank you, thank you. You're down to one, boy. I didn't ask for anything. You did that on yourself. But well, you just oh. a bad boy. Or, 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 of course, whenever I'm dealing, I'm trying to have a kind of a, trying to have a somewhat romantic per, uh, date with somebody, the first text you always have to send me is... Just the, be yourself. And I am oh, and I have that Aladdin face just like, God damn it, Dakota. Anyway, final thoughts. Uh, yes yeah, so Jurassic Park. Awesome. Yes. All right, so my number three, wrong movie. Oh, sorry, but close. Yes, Jaws. It is the perfect blockbuster. It is. I know some people don't consider it a horror movie. I do consider it a horror movie. It has horrific moments in it. It was Mark. it
1: was a horror movie when it first came out.
0: Yeah, I know. Like some people like. I know like. Andy and I, when we did our top fifteen horror movies, we kind of kinda of split hairs like if this is a horror movie or not, is it a thriller with adventures? Parts of it, but I was versus this on VHS. That's like one of those things I saw on TV and like, what's that about? And my mom's like, Oh, you have to see this. If you like movies, you must see Jaws. Yeah. Rented it. And like the opening scene of uh, Chrissy in the water being thrashed about and pulled back and forth. And, uh, and then eventually, like, she's screaming, she's like, like, screaming the Lord's Prayer. She's eventually dragged down on water. Yeah. And you just hear the buoy sound echoing out around, and you're like, whoa. Ooh. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, hell, 100 Scariest Movie Moments list done by Bravo. Number one, with a bullet, was the opening to Jaws. Yeah. And it- Literally, the summer of 1975, nobody
1: was well, in the water.
0: It's kind of like deliverance. Nobody went camping after deliverance, all right? My <laughs> like Coleman was went out of business because of deliverance. <laughs> um, so I, like, psycho made afraid to take a shower. Jaws made you afraid to go in the water. Any water. Bathtubs, swimming pools, pools, pools lakes. lakes? <laughs> I mean, I, subconsciously, whenever I dip my toe in the water, and uh, when I'm on the beach, like, I, Jaws is always on my mind. I'll, it'll never leave me. Okay, this is gonna sound silly, but as a
1: when, you? I was, no. when I was a swimmer, when I was like in deep water swimming, like doing like a workout, I just look at the bottom like, is there any sharks down here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Like they came through the fucking like filter system and like can breathe chlorinated water, but I, yeah, you have to check for sharks when you're swimming <laughs> in a <that> pool.
0: <laughs> Dakota pipes pipes. The oh, well, vascals can get around. It's just hook jaws. Yes. <laughs> and so, I mean, this movie is just pure filmmaking perfection on Spielberg's path. And it's only his third feature film. And then you hear about the stories about oh, yeah. making it, And, like, how it went 150 days production-wise. Because like, they shot out in the ocean. Martha's Vineyard and how terrible it was. Hell. So, I posted a uh, link on the Real Fans group where it's like, um like shooting Aquaman in water is ma- is making it t- is hard on the production. I was the first one to comment. I I wrote, like in parentheses, radio static. The shark is not working. I repeat, the shark is not working. <laughs> radio static. <laughs> it's like it's like Ted likes because like everybody knows like all right, the shark is not working because it can't work in this water. Wait, so Aquaman's being shot in the actual ocean? It's part of it's being shot in Australia and in the ocean, yeah. And yes. It, and a lot of it's, of course, still shot in uh, on like green screen sets, like uh, but it's still underwater in in green screen uh, environments. Yeah. If you're on the ocean, yes, that's one thing. And shooting on the Gold Coast in Australia with James Wan, who's a native Australian, and he's bringing so much um, industry. It's bringing so much money to Australia, which I think is really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, how Spielberg covers his camera angles and how he blocks the scenes. Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, Robert Shaw's performance. I mean, what can you say? It's just it's it, it shouldn't have worked. Everything was stacked against it, and yet, they pulled it off. Oh, my God. And then when they did the 40th year anniversary back in 2015, I went to go see it at at Allen 16, and, like, I'm like, I I see, like, 98% of the people in this movie probably have seen this movie, besides the little kids that their parents have been, been dragged here by their parents which Draft digging around Ben Gardner's boat, and the head pops up. The entire theater screams! And I'm like, I know this is happening. Ben Gardner's gonna come out I'm missing an eyeball. And yeah. you still jump! You still jump, yeah. And then... But like, you know what's gonna happen, but there's some things you just are gonna jump at. And I still jump and when, when Hooper's in the cage. Hoop-a. Hooper! Hooper! <coughs> when Hooper's in the cage, and he's just waiting, and then Jaws J- comes from behind and knocks into him. by the way... It's not the worst body double. No,
1: you can tell it's not. It's not Richard Driver's, yeah. but at the same time, it's
0: funny. Uh, Dick Warlock is the guy who doubled for him, and Dick Warlock uh, was Kurt Russell's stunt double for years, and he was actually Michael Myers in Halloween too. So that's your yeah. little fun fact for it. More you, well, you know. know. Um, then there's Robert Shaw's Indianapolis speech. You... Uh, I think it's my it's my favorite movie monologue. And that's, like, also the first time, like, publicly they talked about the Indianapolis. Yeah, because it, 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 se- it was top secret for years. Yeah. yeah. And then I love the moment when, like, Rob Shaw finishes a beer in one gulp and crushes it. And then driver finishes his coffee, crushes <laughs> the coffee <laughs> cup in his hand. Uh, Brody drops a canister of air, uh, air. You screw around, this thing it's going to blow up. Yeah, it's real fine equipment you brought in here, Mr. Hooper. I, well, I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe eat it, I guess. I guess he's eat a rocking chair Can once. Can we all
1: agree that we all know shooting an air tank is not going to cause a colossal explosion? No, of course it won't. wouldn't. Unless it was filled with oxygen, then it was a different story.
0: And even Peter Benchley brought that up to Spielberg. Like Nobody's going to buy that. He's like, I don't care. If I've had it for two, two hours, they're going to buy the next five minutes of this, including the shark blowing up. And you need a triumphant ending for it. Oh, my God. It works. It totally works. Though, you know, air is not flammable. No.
1: Like I said, if it was if it was O2, pure O2, and he
0: shot it, then, yes, you will destroy the shark in that manner. And I remember what my mom said when she saw it, like, that happened the entire theater. in <sighs> the cheers from it. I like
1: the fact that Steven Spielberg was not even on set. For that little final because shot. Because he felt the,
0: the crew was gonna perform a mutiny and throw him overboard. The, which yeah. became a, it's become a thing that every movie he's done, he never directs the last shot. Yeah. He always leaves. And so he lets I guess he lets the A D or I guess the producer the, handle or the, the last second shot. Unit or is, or yeah, exactly for it. He steps up and leaves. So yeah, and my favorite scene oh fuck. There's so many good ones. I
2: mean it's it's
0: a what! <laughs> I, I got it right. I got it right. A tiger shark. Oh what? <laughs> uh, or no, I, it's it's after when Mrs. Kitner has confronted Brody, slapped him in public, and uh, he's sitting at dinner. Yeah, and it's the son mimicking him. Yes, and like, and Chief Brody and Royceire is just like. <sighs> And, he's just kind of, and the son's just mimicking him, and he realizes it, and he starts, like, acting funny. He's like, give me, give, me, give us a kiss. Why? Because I need it. Gives his father a kiss. Get out of here. I think
1: just that quiet moment there. It, it's But it's such a humanizing moment.
0: Yeah. And I love the moment when, like, Roy Shah just kind of, like, squints his eyes at him. And he's like, hmm. And he starts making a monstrous face at him. So adorable. And then, of course, they have that scene afterwards where it's, like, like, you might want to let that wine breathe... Oh, no, never he mind. He's just pouring it,
2: it into, into glass. Regular glass.
0: Oh, there, there was something else in it, too. And, and he's just like... He doesn't and, give a shit. Yeah. I'm telling you the crime rate in New York. Robberies? Ripoffs? offs well, Whatever anyone make, make a difference. It's just, he's half of the bag on the boat at the end. Yeah. In, the, in that scene. But yeah, Jaws absolutely love and my number three. And I have a feeling what your number two is... Jaws! Yes. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Tim and I actually had a conversation about what would you...
1: We had this conversation. What would you hold dearer, Jaws or Jurassic Park? This is the tough... This,
0: this is a really tough decision. Spoilers, my number two is Jurassic Park. This is the toughest... These are the toughest two to consider. In my top ten favorite movies, it's a tie for my number ninth position to have... Because I consider them... Because they're so similar and they're so close... I have to consider in the same position. But for me personally, like, if I was to choose a movie to watch, like,
1: if I had Jaws in one hand and Jurassic Park in the other hand, I would more than likely go with Jaws. Gotcha. I don't, it's hard to explain why, but for some reason, Jaws is oddly refreshing to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe because of how like bright, it, it, like it's br- a bright
2: movie. Right. Generally,
1: there's very few scenes shot at night. There's no dark colors. It's a bright, summery movie with some horrific shit going on. It's a perfect Fourth of July movie. It's a perfect for- It's a perfect summer movie. Yes. Um. And yeah, it's amazing. Um, Bio TV's like hour and a half documentary on the making of Jaws. Yeah. is by far one of my favorite documentaries. Not the best documentary yeah. I've ever seen, but one of my favorites. And them going into detail about how this movie was destined to destroy Steven Spielberg's career. Yes. I mean, if he was even, like, a slight percentage of a lesser director than he what he was, his career would have ended after Jaws. Yes. But he made it. And, like, they made it on the fly, essentially. And it was just the worst worst options they gave Spielberg with. And he, we're still talking about Jaws today. It's yeah. still considered the best shark movie ever made. Oh, my God. And, I mean, the characters are great. I mean, who, oh, everyone remembers. I still love the fact that I made the comparison between Cornelius Fudge of Harry Potter and the Mayor of Amityville. They're the same, Amity Island.
0: Amity Island. Yeah, because if they are the same character, they are the same person. It's such <laughs> denial, and one keeps safe face. That, and they want p- the the
1: greater good, protect the greater good. Thank you. They want to protect them. Yes. So, but yeah, favorite line in the movie, obviously, is "You yell Barracuda." People go, "Huh? huh? What? You what? Yell you yell Shark." shark. Oh, well, we gotta got a panic, panic on our hands on the Fourth of July. July. And that scene, the shot of that movie, just done on the. On the uh, it's all one take. Yes, and it's it's the it's the ferry that moves. Yeah, and the actors that move throughout it. Yeah, I mean this is the brilliance of Steven Spielberg that the characters are always in motion. Yes, and the camera is static. I, I love that. And obviously, my favorite shot of the scene is uh, when the shark attacks uh, the little kid, and the zoom in on Brody, mm. the vertigo
0: zoom is yeah. just by far my one of my favorite shots in all of mov- all the movies. Yeah, and it's like it's it's kind of funny. Like after that, you couldn't do a vertigo shot. Without people comparing it to... Yeah. This. I mean, like... Hell, there's even a vertical shot in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, there is. When they when the ring race finally arrive on the road and, and like, Frodo realizes, like, oh, we're surrounded now. Yeah. But go on. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the movie's just... For me,
1: it's such a great movie. Lots of character I mean, the characters between uh, Brody, Hooper, and... Hooper! Quint and Quint are great. And you... The animosity between uh, Quint and Hooper is there. Um, I mean, like I, I also read the jo- book Jaws, much like I did, with, except I didn't read an audiobook, I actually read it. Um, and the book Jaws is great. However, the book Jaws is about the struggle between Brody and everyone else, and the shark is the antithesis of making all this bad shit happen in Brody's life. Mm-hmm. Like Hooper arriving and banging his wife was a ma-
0: big chunk out of the book. It was a main point, and then, which kind of leads to when Hooper dies. It kind of leaves it kind of questionable that if Brody let Hooper die, well, much
1: like in the book and the movie, yeah. Hooper goes down in the cage, yes. and much like in the book and the movie, the shark breaks into the cage. Yeah, that's when the movie and the book ends. And he was supposed to.
0: I think he was supposed to die. He was
1: supposed to die. It's just uh, they didn't get the dummy inside the cage when the shark when they when the real shark footage
0: yeah. got caught in the cage the Australia footage and it freaked out yeah it just it was perfect but there was no body in the cage so they're like all right we'll just shoot like him escaping the cage and showing yeah. up at the end but it works in the movie cuz Hooper doesn't sleep with Brody's wife no but there is that one scene in the, the kitchen the, scene. and, and the didn't say but you can see the kind of chemistry yes so yeah like like there is a you can let say that's like the remnants of that subplot there. Yeah, but the movie itself,
1: just focusing on Brody and the shark, was great. And I don't... It, it still blows my mind that this movie was this good under the circumstances it was made. And by far, it's still one of the best movies I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, easily, it was like, oh my god, this is... You pop this in and it's enjoyable. Anytime of year, anything you do, it's like, you pop in Jaws, you will love it. And you turn phone in like two hours. It's just pure... Entertainment, yeah, exactly, and yep.
1: Let's talk about Jurassic Park again, Tim. Yep, my number two is <laughs>
0: Jurassic Park. So I was introduced to this movie when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure we had two VHS copies because we loved it so much uh, of Jurassic Park. And it was one of those movies when I saw it at a very early age, along with Terminator and uh, Back to the Future, that got my first love with movies, like. And so that's why like that's why my my obsession became started was because of those three movies specifically. I think mean, that's why I love science fiction. That's why I love action movies. That's why I love time travel. I mean, that's why I enjoy dinosaurs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, all those are the things that are are the genesis of all the things that still permeate through me today. Started with these movies, and Jurassic Park is a big part of it, and it's just. Every scene is just wonderful and, like, Spielberg's... It's, like... Jurassic Park is the culmination of both the filmmaker who made Jaws and E.T. Mm-hmm. Because there's the splendor and wonder and heart of E.T. With the thrills and horror of Jaws in it. Right. Like, like Ellie gets the power back on... Mr. Hammond, I think we're back in business! We're <laughs> <And the, the laughs> Burst out of the cage... And, and uh, uh, she's like, "Jesus Christ!" and slams the cage door. On him. And the world's fakest arm, I'm like, "Oh, Mr. Arnold!" <laughs> I, I love like, the model of like the animatronic uh, raptor grabs onto the cage and like stuck to it. He's like, ah, "I'm stuck to the cage. This is my impression of Garfield." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and she's and Ellie's her leg slamming the gate closes. She's. Just, hobbling away towards the stairs, and then just, she's running from the foreground to the background, mm-hmm. dragging her flashlight, and then all of a sudden, the raptor legs land in the foreground, and like, oh my god, and of course, the, as we mentioned before, the, um, the T-Rex escaping the paddock, and then the chase afterwards, once they have like, let's, re- can we risk moving, uh, him, please chance it, <laughs> uh, and then of course, uh, that's an impact tremor, that's what it is, so It's a, Fairly alarm. Come on, come on, come on, let's get out of here. Let's go, go let's go, let's go. Must go faster, must let's go, go faster. faster.
3: Shit! Shit, Shit! <laughs> I just didn't Give
1: Objects didn't objects in the mirror appear closer than they what they are. <laughs>
0: and of course I love the Toy Story 2 from uh, of oh, yeah, it when, when Mr. Potato Head looks in the mirror and sees Rex chasing after him yes. in, the, in the toy store. Uh, um I'm from Mattel. Uh, well, like, not I'm really for, Mattel, but a company just, just, that was purchased by, by Mattel. Mattel. <laughs> For <laughs> Buzz Lightyear, so it's like, oh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and, of course, there's the uh, – uh, what are they doing? Oh, feeding it. When they feed the raptors, the, the cow, oh, yeah. and you just hear it get ravaged in front of them. But what makes that scene great you is – You don't see anything.
1: You don't see anything, but the faces of every individual, every – uh, everyone but Grant is disgusted and Grant is fascinated. Fascinated by it. He has a smile on his face and this is where, um, Muldoon. Not Muldoon. <sighs> Who? Gennaro? No, the, Hammond. Hammond, thank you. Hammond is w- just watching Grant. Yeah. Because I think he, in Hammond's
0: mind, if he can convince Grant that this park is set. Yes, because like his name carries so much weight in the paleontologist world that it's like, a sign-off at him is like, Pff, you put that on a poster right there. Exactly. And he's like, and you guarantee what's going to happen. it. And, um, and of course, there's the blending of CGI and animatronics. I mean, I love the moment where it's like, you're in the Jeep, you no, know, you're in the, the Ford Explorer with uh, Grant and Malcolm in the foreground. The animatronic T-Rex bumps the truck, and the CGI version of the T-Rex walks away. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's seamless. And, of course, like, I, I always call this part, the nightmare fuel, when they the kids turn on the, the flashlight, they're trying to turn off, and then it's like, you hear the T-Rex approach, and it cuts the bird's eye view looking through the translucent uh, roof of the floor, and they go quiet, and then BOOM! boom! The T-Rex bursts it and I always call it like, uh, nightmare fuel, in three, two, one yeah, 2, burst it. through, and then... And they're holding up the glasses. The only thing that's separating them is, yeah, like... the tongue is working. And, and like, oh. and it's, it is the roar of it. And then, of course, they turn the truck over and it's squishing it. It's right into the... Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. And I think my favorite scene in the movie, other than maybe when Hammond is trying to eat... Is eating the defrosting ice cream with Ellie. And they're talking about, like, if he's still deluded the thinking that he can... He can the, gain
1: control of this.
0: And so, obviously, like, of course you're not going to have control This is something that... If it's there, Tatus it was something that man was not meant to disturb. Death has always surrounded. It is not of this earth. Um, yeah, it's something they shouldn't have tampered with. Or mm-hmm. the it might be, it might be the ending of trying to escape the raptors from the, the kitchen to the that, control yeah. center to the that whole ending sequence. And I love I, I love the fact where they get the power back on and they have the phones, Mister so Hammond. The phones are working. The children are right. The children are fine. Call the mainland. Get the get the damn helicopter here. They're coming through the glass. And just and boom, boom, boom. We hear the gunshot from over the phone. And Hammond and screams Grant's name. Yeah. And of course, the piano theme at the end is fantastic. <sighs> I just love it. This, this Number two and number three were the toughest ones to figure. Yeah. But let's round it down. Let's yeah. get down One to that. One
1: last quick thing about Jurassic Park, right? which is the pro- from the making of. Uh, the, T, the model T-Rex that they have was not supposed to get wet. No, that's what... And like, and it was a last-minute decision to make it rain, and then everyone's like,
0: oh... Because it, it, it was shiver because all the... Well, the, before the balance. It, it's
1: like, well, we don't know what... Like, it, like we... Like, Steve, we don't... It wasn't meant to be get wet. It's like, well, what happens? Nobody knows. And so they would turn on the the water towers and it it's would absorb rain. it and it would start war and start shivering like it's cold and then after every take to shut
0: the water off and people run up with chamois and start it, 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 because it would help with the cgi because there's more there's more texture in there to hide the lines for it. it's shot at night and everything yeah and it just adds intensity yes and i think it's for, for the best and because it's it was calibrated to be a certain balance to the the dinosaur and throwing it in the water just threw it off and it's trying to compensate for it. That's why it's like it's shaking because all the pneumatics are not working properly. Yeah. But
1: yeah, I just thought the line of nobody knows.
0: <laughs> or I love when Phil Tippett was supposed to do all the stop motion effects before they decided to go a lot of the CGI mm-hmm. instead of just animatronics and stop motion. And he came up the line when he saw the first test for the CGI. I guess I'm extinct. Yeah, which then is a. We're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? Ha
3: ha ha ha. And of course uh,
0: the CGI became overused and kind of abused and like before you even knew what you had, you patented it, you packaged it, and you slept on a plastic watchbook and, and, to to and you're selling you're selling it. it. Anyway, you're number one, sir.
1: This is not good. my number one is not going to be a surprise to anyone who knows me. Yeah. Not only is this my number one Spielberg movie, it is my number one movie of all time. Of all time? Of all time. Fucking time! What is it? Raiders of the Lost Ark. You bastard! It's such. To me, this is as perfect of a movie as you can get. It has everything. It has action, comedy, drama. It is it just sucks you in with its story? It literally sucks you in with its story. <laughs> uh, and the characters are amazing. The villains are amazing, and it just looks amazing. This movie is just amazing. I don't know what how to articulate how much love I have for this movie. As a kid, this, as a kid growing up, I love this movie. But I, as a kid, Last Crusade was my favorite. Mm. Over time, I, I've grown to love this movie even more than Last Crusade, and even more than any other movie I've ever watched. Because it's just something, it's so hard. I mean, it just it feeds your sense of adventure because it is the quintessential movie that makes adventure movies. Mm. I mean, if there were adventure movies before, but this, this defined what an adventure movie should be. Yeah, What the character of the main movie should be. I mean, you have games like Uncharted out there, which is like a modern-day Indiana Jones movie. You have a grave robber as your main character, and he's going through some... Some of like the like some campy shit, but it make it works. I mean, Uncharted is like the game Uncharted is like a love story to Indiana Jones, but just set in a modern era. Yeah, And Tomb Raider before that and Tomb Raider before that, it. I don't know. I don't know. What else. It just it for me. This is just the perfect movie. And if anyone says, "Hey, let's watch Raiders," I am right there with you, and I will sit and watch that with a smile and unsuccessfully try to control myself from quoting the entire movie. Because I will quote it.
2: Yes, As it's
1: going. I I, I don't know. I just... I don't know how else to say other than that this movie is just... It's a masterpiece to me. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what else to say.
0: (laughs) I I love it, and it's wonderful. I mean, I prefer Last Crusade, but this is so fucking good. I mean... At some points, you think Raiders. Like there's some parts, I think Raiders is much better than Crusade. I mean, like, you could say some of the action sequences are more unique and more creative in this. Like, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, the introduction to Indy, the oh, yeah. first adventure, the yeah. top men. Top. Uh, I mean, how many jokes and inside jokes we've spun out of this movie? Seeing oh, it on so much. <laughs> seeing it on the big screen on thirty-five millimeter film, paired with Jurassic Amazing. Park a couple of years ago. I mean.
1: Yeah, actually, I forgot. I forgot to mention my favorite scene of the movie. What's your favorite uh, scene? I mean, there's a lot to like in this movie, but honestly, the shootout in the bar. Really, it, it's one of my favorites. I mean, I feel like feel like cheat like I'm cheating if I mention the truck chase, even though that was spectacular, mm-hmm. especially with when Indy gets hurt and thrown out the front of the wind yeah windshield, and then his comeback to take the truck back over, which is amazing. Um, I mean the ending's perfect where all the Germans get their cut up I mean you feel bad for some people who are just there Yeah, but at the they're same time they're Nazis t- anyway yeah Nazis bad they're,
3: yeah. they're
1: not Germans they're Nazis yes but um, the shootout in the bar really set the tone for okay this is the action this is the action you're going to get yeah and it delivers and the rest of the movie you just that's what you want and that's what you get uh, and it just also some of the jokes I mean like shoot them shoot them both. And, like, in the end, the guys who were wrestling each other look at each other and then point the guy
0: at the <laughs> guy who's going to kill him. Yeah, you see the silhouette of the guy. Yeah, and get shot Everybody get, get killed. Or he's
1: on the bar getting crapped and he just, uh, to Marion Whiskey! <laughs> she <laughs> hands f- him a body, bottle of Johnny Walker and he bashes the guy over the head before the bar gets set on fire.
0: And it's funny, like, whenever Justin and I say the word Whiskey, we can't say it like that. We have to say
1: Whiskey! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just, ugh... I mean, also, maybe, it's so hard to choose because there's so many good scenes. I mean, the him going down to uh, the, the map, layout, the, the map, map room. room.
0: Oh, I think it's my favorite it, scene in the movie. The
1: build up and, and the music, music the score to it. Oh my god! And An the island like effects for that scene. And then when you finally, when he finally identifies it, the joy on his face and everything. Oh my god!
0: Indy, why is the room, why does the floor move?
2: Asps.
0: Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. You go first. You see, Andy? I told you to be all right.
1: Oh, my God. It, oh, my God. Okay, maybe I take back the bar scene. Mm.
3: <laughs> That's
1: my favorite. I'm trying to justify things in my head because I just love this movie start to finish so much that it's kind of hard to put one over the top. Yeah. Because I feel like each scene is so unique to the story that they're all great. Yeah. I mean, I love the... Imp- I mean... When he chases Miriam through the through Cairo when yeah. she's in the basket, that's a great chase scene. And yes, full and you're like, oh my god, he's going to get her, and then it ends tragically. But you have the sword, the fu- the sword fight <laughs> in quotes in the middle where Indy just pulls his gun. Uh, but then that fight because there was supposed to be an actual fight there, but Harrison Ford was so sick on set yeah. that they couldn't, so they replaced it with an impromptu fight with the jet. Yeah, which is awesome. Yes. Another awesome scene with another awesome explosion, and you're going like, "Oh my god, this
0: movie!" Jones. Oh god! So it's funny when I was on Holy Badcast earlier this week. Mm -hmm. um, Jamie pointed uh, the coach. Jamie pointed out to when Batman's in his first night out, trying to take down the truck. Yeah. He ends up like raised because the guy hits the brakes. Oh, he and, falls and, on the and, hood. Yeah. I never put those two and two together. I'm like, uh, oh, my did, God. I never did it until you just mentioned it now. But, of course, he doesn't go under the truck. He throws the spiked balls to uh, pop the tires. But, like, that's a that's an Indiana Jones moment. Very, right yeah. But,
1: yeah. Oh. No, but, yeah, I mean, favorite movie of all time, easily. And I don't, I don't foresee myself changing that opinion anytime soon. Nice. And I do not know your top f- one movie. I, you know? wait, wait, let me just try to think. when um, we read off the list? Yeah, read off the list one more time. Let me try to
0: guess. Uh, War of the Worlds. Okay. Minority Report. Okay. Munich. Okay. Duel. Okay. Uh, Shinless List. Uh huh. Last Crusade. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan. Jaws. Jurassic Park. What's <sighs> not there. You gotta kick yourself. It's obviously Hook.
1: <laughs> My Jack. <laughs> oh. um, probably I'm going to end up kicking myself it, it's not Sugar Light no, Sugar Light Express no, nope. that didn't make your list um...
3: damn
0: it. What just go for it E.T. oh god damn it <laughs> Oh home, yes it's E.T. Uh... it's my number 4 favorite movie of all time I remember seeing this the first time when I was a kid. It was not a Spielberg movie that we had, but we didn't watch too often because of how scary the setup of it is. Very, yeah. Because of how it is, because it used to scare the crap out of sister Eileen when it started out in the woods, and everything we see, ET, like in shadow, we see his weird hands, and, and you yeah. see all, and you see all the government people with like flashlights and silhouettes, and mm-hmm. it's all foggy, and you're like, and of course when ET scares Elliot. And everything. So, like, we didn't... This did not get a lot of replay when I was younger, but I still watched it. And so, of course, I always remember the... Him walking through the woods. And the purple font that opened the movie. Because it opens with purple text. Like, that's the credits text. and It's not... It's something you don't see that often. No, I really don't. And... That's always my first memory of this movie. And I saw it when I was a kid. We had it on VHS. Uh, And... The reason why I this movie has become my favorite and it has to do with me in high school because of things like I've said, like my family had some really bad troubles in high school and my closest friend like got into a relationship and it's kind of one of those like things like I'm, it's like my first like serious girlfriend. So I can't spend as much time with you. And it's a time when I really needed somebody. I had never felt so alone in my life. My sisters, my sister, I moved out of the house. Mm -hmm. My sister, Steph was away at school. I was here dealing the, with the kind of things that was happening here, and I had nobody. And so, the movie about a kid from a, that's in a divorced family, and like his brother and sister like, that he doesn't have the closest relationship with, and he feels so isolated, even amongst a supposedly happy childhood home in a nice suburb, finds solace in another stranger, you know, somebody that's outside the norm and everything was able to find love and find camaraderie was something that i really needed and that's why especially in high school that's why this became such an important movie for me because it was it was the movie i needed at the right time mm-hmm. and it just it helped me get through so much shit and i mean of course like it's like the elliot pretending to be sick by Putting the thermometer under the lamp to increase the temperature, he puts the heat uh, blanket on his face to make his his, uh, his head hot. Um, he's showing his brother that his aliens come back, and Drew Barrow comes running at Elliot, "Look what I made for you!" Burst in and eats his, ah. eats his head. Yeah! And like I love the shot where it's inside the closet. Like uh, Drew Barrymore runs across and runs to the center frames, like. Ah! E.T. runs into the frame, arms i his like... Yeah. And it's a joke that my sister and I make fun of, because I love the family guy. It's first season Family Guy, where... Peter kicks in the door. and He's wearing a spacesuit, and Chris goes like, "Oh my God, the government's here! Run, ET, run!" Ah! I remember that.
2: Yeah,
0: I remember that. I text his sister the step, like, "Oh my God, the government's here! Run, ET!" And she was, just, she was right back, ah, with a bunch of H's and exclamation points. <laughs> uh, and of course, I love when they dress him up as a ghost, and they have to take the mother thinks it's Drew thing, so it's Gertie. It takes the photo, and the, the Flash startles E.T. He's like, whoa, and he falls back on his ass. And she doesn't notice because she's pulling out the Polaroid. And then when E.T. and Elliot get sick, and they're like, oh, my God, we got to get him out of the house. And so the mother tries to race everybody out of it. E. E.T. screaming, don't leave me like this. They open the door, and the astronaut's there in the spacesuit. Yeah. And never has a spacesuit ever looked so scary.
1: Yeah, and, well, and he sounds well, like
0: hazmat suits. I, yeah. I always thought they were hazmat suits, I mean, but it has like the NASA logo and everything on it. Does it? Was, it? I think so. That they were, were yellow. The, the the dome was yellow. The the hazmat suit show up. But no, it was the traditional spacesuits. Really? Are you sure about he, this? Yes. The hazmat suit show up later when they go and they they wrap the, the house in plastic. But that's an also another shot where it's just the long shot of the hill. And you just see it's the sunset, and you see the line of them, and you have the, the music, boom, 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 and they're coming over the hill. And, of course, we've never seen the bad guy, keys. Keyes. Well, he's not even the bad guy, but he's, he's believed to be in the antagonist, but he's just the guy who's just as interested as Elliot trying to find out who E.T. is. Yeah. And when I mentioned the Vertigo shot, there was a shot where it opens up over, over, over the hill of... Um, the suburb it pushes in and zooms in so everything becomes like and it zooms out and so it's like all right we're so we're pushing in zooming out so it's kind of just like how the vertigo shot is and so we have we encompass the entire valley of the neighborhood and then this the agents start coming into the foreground across in the frame and then we see the guy with the keys come into foreground the camera dollies back and zooms in so all of a sudden the guy with the keys is in the foreground and all of a sudden the town is just being engulfed by him. Mm-hmm. That's another vertigo shot, which I really love. And then when E.T. chooses to die to save Elliot and they're trying to defibulate him. Right. And the first debil- defibrillate the first shock, it cuts to Drew Barrymore and she jumps from the fright. And she's like, <gasps> and she immediately starts crying. And you, you start crying. You're like, oh my God, why, why do you do this to me, movie? E.T. is brought back to life because his family is coming to get him. Right. The chase out of there. And my favorite piece of John Williams music okay. is when they've been in the van, they've driven all the way to the park. That's where they meet up with their friends to get them out of there. And like, why don't we just beam them up? Like, this is reality, Craig. And like the rest of the team and, and everybody shows up at the, the park, the kids have abandoned. D Wallace goes in the background and he walks into the foreground. It's like, bah, bah. hard cut to the kids on the bikes and the music as they the FBI is chasing him through the development and the subdivisions and everything and of course it ends with the pulling shotguns not walkie talkies, shotguns which was eventually changed back, it was changed to walkie talkies then changed back to shotguns because people realized this is not right and of course they lift off and bring the kids to the ship and it's like E.T.'s telling him to come with him and it's like stay, and he's like, I can't and of course E.T. says in lines, I'll be right here. And you're like It is the one scene that will always make me cry, it was always made me like waterfalls from my te- from my eyelids. And it's like oh, I'm just getting choked up thinking about it. Like, I am going to watch the movie when we get done with this. I am watching that movie tonight. That's a mission. And it ends with like the last music cue is when the ship lifts off and makes a Rainbow across the sky, and it cuts D Wallace who's crying, but she smiles. And it's like, and the music. Bah, 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 bah. And it's a pure opera of like the last 15 minutes of the movie. I think it's John Williams' best score. That's one of the things I will, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. I think the second best piece of music that John Williams ever wrote is actually The Asteroid Chase and Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, that's great. And so it's those 30 seconds when he's really evading the asteroids and everything. But yeah. E.T. is my favorite Spielberg movie. It's in my top five favorite movies. I love it. It will always be a part of me, and I hope one day to meet him and to try to articulate the, what the movie meant to me and what his movies have meant to me overall. Yeah. And you were right. It is astronauts, which is, which is weird, but it's also just like it's frightening.
1: It is very frightening. It all of a just this, like. But th- <laughs> to be honest, like a lot, of, I, I know that how much it means to you, this movie. Means to yeah, you, and that's why I'm not. I don't mean any offense, but. It's it, it's not it's for not, everybody. Yeah, I understand it's, that. It's not. Uh, growing up, I was horrified by ET. He is he's, he's uh, an ugly uh, she, alien. I will never. I will to never deal with me. My mom would just touch me with her finger, and go
3: alien, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I would freak out. And then uh, in college, my friend Moose and I were we're just chilling you know, like, oh, what's on Netflix? And ET was on Netflix, so we're like, wow, watch it. So we spent the afternoon watching it at the end of the movie. I'm just like, okay, it's better than what I thought, but at the same time, just, eh. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think you love the Quiet Man sequence. The Quiet Okay. That's because I love... The Quiet Man. The that's Quiet a, Man. Yeah. One of the most underrated romance movies And of underrated all time. John
0: Wayne movies in general, let's be honest. Oh, my God, yes. It's, we'll talk about the...
1: We have to do a St. Patrick's Day thing of The Quiet Man. Okay. Because that's the movie I watch every
0: St. Patrick's Day. Got it. Without fail. Quiet, man. But yeah, so uh, E.T. I love it. And yeah, but... Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I think it's... I think he achieves something better than he do close counts because I feel like it, it's more personal and everything. And, um, it's one of those movies where know, whenever I'm making something, it's in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be the cinematography, it's the camera movement, it's like, it's characterization, and, but uh, To be fair, uh, I think...
1: E. T. is one of Steven Spielberg's most realistic-looking and whimsiest, oh, realistic shit. to whimsiest movies he's made. Yeah, I mean, Hook was whimsical, but yeah. it wasn't realistic. Yeah, um, most realistic was Saving Private Ryan or, or Schindler's List. Schindler's yeah. List. That's not whimsical whatsoever. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: It's pure whimsy, and even hell, they even reference Peter Pan in the movie, like because he's. But uh, isn't Peter wasn't Peter Pan like Steven Spielberg's favorite story growing up? Yeah, along with like Pinocchio, which they mentioned in close accounts. And if you think of like how the ending of Pinocchio with fighting the giant whale, you think of the end of Jaws. They're very similar. The whale doesn't blow up. Though. No, that's true. They, they get blown out of them, but. Geppetto, uh... smile, you it's your son, son of a bitch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you no! Know, imagine the whale
0: like eating Pinocchio. Like, quit! Like, father!
3: ah,
2: father!
0: He ripped off his leg. That's yes! when he stabbed the whale.
2: Instead of machete, he stabbed him with the jagged person of his own leg into the into the whale. <laughs> ah! He splits up, spin splinters of blood. <laughs> Jimmy <flying. laughs> <Give me laughs> Cricket like, oh my god, I failed him. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Hey, yeah, the Geppetto's. Spy, you son of a bitch When you wish upon a Stop <laughs> <laughs> No, the chunks of whale and fire When you <laughs> wish upon a... <laughs> <laughs> paddles back on the body of <laughs> but I don't get what's left of it That's how he uses the paddle back
0: to shore <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Where Jimmy DeCrook <Carter>, like <laughs> like, he's not doing jack shit, but his
2: feet are trying his damnedest to help battle with them.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. Whew. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah. That's our top ten favorite Spielberg movies. Oh, God.
3: <sighs>
1: well, this was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sounding like a bitch right now. Oh, no, you
0: are a bitch, so it's okay. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope everyone's enjoyed this episode of the Anything Goes Podcast. There's our top 10 countdown of Spielberg movies. If you want people to follow you on social media, Dakota, where can they find you?
1: You can head over to dwdrawings.deviantart.com, where you can see a bunch of my drawings, uh, the Harry Potter podcast cartoon. Uh, comics and some other comics i have going plus you can get a good sense of some of the reviews i have done in the past you can also check if you want just reviews specifically head over to my uh to cartoon where you can see some of my cartoon uh cartoon reviews there Mm
3: -hmm. i have
1: not posted anything new since last podcast because i've been lazy just as a heads up
0: gotcha you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2, my Instagram at TRooney1012, my Facebook and YouTube page are under the same banner of Through the Lens Productions. My latest short film, Jack, is up there with as part of the My Annabelle Creation Contest. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star review and a r- review if you like us and you want us to get the word out there. It really helps us. And I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode, Dakota. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for having me. All right, and, and hopefully next
1: time it won't be over a month since. We no, this. it'll
0: be much sooner, and we're approaching episode seventy-seven. So that means you, Rob, and I <gasps> have to get together for a very special occasion. Doctor Who. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you again soon, guys. And uh, hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. I, I've said that like for the third time in a row. And uh, now I'm sitting by myself, uh, Talk to myself. That's that's chaos, Derek.
1: That's chaos, dude.